I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as slashers, dream demons, franchises, and director's bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. So are we allowed to say that we're Fetty Alvarez approved now? Um, at least for one episode. <laughs> for those of you that don't know or don't use our social media yet, Fetty Alvarez actually downloaded our episode we did on him and listened to it and even took the time to respond to it on our Twitter, which was fucking awesome and really shows how down to earth the guy can be, right? Absolutely, man. That's like the, the coolest thing that's happened thus far in doing this. So, uh, yeah. Does that mean that we can't say things on episodes anymore and say, oh, it doesn't matter. They're never going to listen to this. <laughs> no, we still can. <laughs> okay. 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 No, I thought it was really neat. And uh, either we did a good job because he took the time to do it or, you know, he's bored during the pandemic like everybody else. <laughs> I'm going to go with the latter, but I don't care. I just like the double take I did on my phone when I got an alert and I pulled it out and I saw the Twitter alert and I thought it was one of those things. It's like Fetty Alvarez has posted something, you know what I mean? Like it'll yeah. tell you people you follow. And then I realized that it was like, had a slice by slice logo on it. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, this is episode 50 guys. Can you believe that episode 50 of the slice by slice podcast? A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise part three, where we're going to cover the last two movies, and we're recording this on October 11th. Holy crap, man. The big 5-0. You would have thought that we planned some cool over-the-hill type thing <laughs> or top 50 list thing, but in actuality, we were way too busy to do anything that cool. Yeah. I've been working on a house that I'm selling this week. I'm closing on it this week, so it's kept me kind of busy. We were guests on a podcast called Can't Recommend Enough. We were on there with Rick, the host, had a great fucking time talking about just horror as a genre, and that was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I had technical issues on my end, and I'm going to sound like shit on his podcast, <laughs> but it'll be out Tuesday, and we'll make sure we link it online, and you guys got to check it out. Hopefully, it'll be out before this episode's out. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So just make sure you look for Can't Recommend Enough, and we're going to be on his, I guess it's his Halloween episode or something, because he doesn't normally do horror. He does like different things in culture and stuff, right? Yeah, it's like a it's like a variety podcast where he has guests on just to talk about what they're into. If you're stuck on something stale where you keep searching for stuff you know you like and want something new, just go check out Can't Recommend Enough. And from dog grooming to slice by slice, there's everything there. <laughs> <laughs> and we're definitely going to have to have him on here sometime when we do another uh, like Halloween interview episode or, or one of those type things. I think it'd be a lot of fun to have him on here. He's a, he was real good to talk to So yeah. And definitely a horror fan. So that, that was awesome. Yeah. Horror star Wars and Marvel. We found out through <laughs> that conversation. It's like we're best buds. <laughs> Josh, you're replaced. Oh, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that to you, man. Your family. <laughs> <laughs> I make 50% of the nothing we make on this. Come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. But let's go over some news and updates and stuff before we, uh, we get onto this, this finale of a franchise series. Some current news that stood out to us, the witches, which scared every kid in our age range in the nineties when it came out with that creepy Angelica Houston, witch makeup and the <laughs> cutting of rat tails apparently is being remade. And I had no fucking clue. Did you, is that the one where the kids get turned into rats? 
Yeah, and the witches are trying to hunt him down and kill all of them. Okay, I've only seen that once, and I swear to God, Peter Jackson had to have direct all the shots, the angles, <laughs> every, all the coverage in that movie looks like old Peter Jackson. But no, I had no clue this was being remade. And not only is it being remade, it's done. It comes out on October 22nd on HBO Max, and Anne Hathaway's playing the main witch. I oh, can wow. see it. I bet it's going to be really good. Huh. I'm hoping it is anyways. My kids were terrified of the original last year, so we'll watch the remake this year. Dude, it's dark, and it's supposed to be for kids. <laughs> I know, I know. Blumhouse The Craft Legacy is coming out on October 28th on Video On Demand, and I think it's one of those things where you basically have to pay $20 to get it right, like going to the movie theater. And it looks like they might have done the smart thing, and instead of trying to figure out how to recast the characters, they decided to make it a sequel to the original, which I had no fucking clue they were doing that. I thought it was a remake the whole time. That's what are we? Do we have any returning cast, or how are they taking care of that? Have you not watched the trailer yet? No. Uh, I sent it to you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched like ninety seconds of it, and I couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> the the main the main. I guess she's the main witch girl. She's going through a photo album and, and she's got a picture of Faruza Balk that starts moving in the picture like she's coming for her. Oh, nice. Like in the craft makeup. So when I saw that, I was like, what the fuck? And then I saw online somewhere that it's supposed to actually be a sequel. So, huh? That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Speaking of things that I didn't know <laughs> about being remade or a sequel, apparently Stephen Lang just finished recording his scenes for Don't Breathe 2, which I didn't even know they had started on yet. I didn't either. <laughs> That's fucked up. Nobody knows if Jane Levy's in it or anything. All I know is Fetty did not direct this one. Oh, I'll still watch it. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Yeah, yeah I'll still watch it. It's got Stephen Lang in it, right? Yeah. And if Jane Levy's in it, then that's just like two reasons to go watch it because I like her too. There you go. For anyone who missed Swamp Thing on the Warner Brothers DC streaming service, whatever the fuck it was called, apparently it's coming out on CW, and I thought it was really good, and it's James Wan produced, and I liked it a lot. I'm just hoping it's not butchered on CW, because I guess I really wasn't that graphic on the streaming service, but I'm sure there's some stuff that has to be cut. I'll have to ask uh, the wife because I think uh, the first episode's actually already aired because um, I asked her why she was watching it again. She's like trying to give the CW some ratings so we'll get season three. <laughs> season three? We don't even have season two. Uh, so we'll get season two. <laughs> <laughs> Shows you how much I paid attention to the show. <laughs> oh. And the last interesting thing that jumped out to me is uh, – trailer came out for Stephen King's The Stand, which unfortunately is going to be on CBS All Access, I think. I was kind of hoping it was going to a bigger streaming service than that, but uh, I'll do a month free trial so I can watch The Stand. <laughs> how was the? I haven't seen the trailer. How was it? I mean, it looks like The Stand. I like Alexander Skarsgård. The fact that he's Randall Flagg, I think, is going to be really cool. I'm okay with He that. looks creepier, though. Remember, Jamie Sheridan was like a very happy devil or antichrist right like he's smiling yeah. all the time and kind of charming alexander scargard looks scary in it so you know <laughs> <laughs> and i think i saw trash came in there was something that alluded to that it might use the actual books ending i don't know i mean it looked like the oh. stand i just have to see it you could tell they were trying to not spoil too much and Whoopi goldberg appears to have been a good choice to be mother abigail just from the trailer like, she was Mother Abigail in the fucking trailer. Eh. I mean, it would have had to have been her or Oprah, if you think about it. Like, I can't really think anybody else. If those are my choices, it has to be Sister Act herself, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> 
And she wasn't putting like a comedic touch on it. But if I remember correctly, I think Mother Abigail occasionally would be a little punny. Yeah. With one liners, right? So, so, I mean, she's going to be able to do that part, definitely. So, I wonder how fucking long it's going to run. <laughs> I know it's a mini series. So, it's multiple episodes again, just like the last time. I'm debating if I want to try to whip through the book real quick. Well, it's not really a real quick. It's honestly the thickest fucking book I've ever seen in my life. Oh, this man just said, read a Stephen King book quick. <laughs> hey, have you ever seen Cycle of the Werewolf? It's like, yay thick. Well, I guess you can't. You guys can't see that. It's a pretty thin book, but and it's got pictures in it. It's right up your alley. <laughs> but are they color? Yes. Oh, fuck. I think. Yeah. I don't know. The book was reprinted recently when we did our werewolf episode last year. I wanted to buy a copy of the book because I don't have mine anymore. I have no clue what happened to it. And I found out it was out of print and not coming into print again for like three months. And I haven't gotten one yet. And I need to get it before it's out of print again. <laughs> so that's one they better not ever try to remake. You can't redo Corey Haim and Gary Busey and that motherfucker. No, 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 no. There's uh uh-uh. <laughs> I got a few updates and corrections from the last episode. I caught myself saying Remy instead of Rennie a lot. Well, apparently I didn't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they sound a lot alike, and I was just, you know, on a roll going so fast. But, you know, sometimes I said Rennie, sometimes I said Remy. It's Rennie. (laughs) I believe Freddy's Revenge was the other nightmare movie where you had the jump rope sound with the girls doing the uh, the lullaby, right? The prominent whipping. Yeah. Okay. Because there's the one with his sister when he walks into his sister's room and catches her, but it also does it near the end of the movie as well. Okay. So, and when we were talking about the new Nancy thing, I didn't really mean that I felt like Alice replaced Nancy as like the better Nightmare on Elm Street heroine. I felt like since Nancy was gone, she was able to fill those shoes as the new heroine is what I meant by it. And I, I, Kind of felt like it's. it sounded like I was saying she was better than Nancy, and that's not where I was going with it. Oh, okay. So just, just more of she was capable of filling the void left w- with the loss of that character. Right, right. Like, she wasn't a weak heroine character. Like, I liked her character, her story, her arc, and her battle with Freddy, and I felt like she held her own without having to be, like, the new Nancy, right? Yeah. Like, she, she was the new heroine on her own right, and I felt like she could stand in her own two feet. Gotcha. And unless you called anything else that we messed up on that's yeah. it for that for me no no that's that's all i got man <laughs> i guess for what we watched like i said i've had a busy couple weeks since the last episode with working on a house and prepping for another podcast and whatnot but i finished the boys season two yeah yeah we finished that yesterday okay okay it was good it was good all the way through and even got me with the surprise twist at the end oh yeah yeah, yeah. i was just happy to have that question answered. I guess that's what I'll say. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, we're talking about the scanners person. Let's just let's call it that, right? <laughs> totally. But uh, the head popper, I, I totally had a guess. And I feel like it wasn't the the one they were trying to make you think it was. But I'm trying to not spoil anything. But the person ended up being, I had no fucking clue the whole time. So I liked that. Yeah, yeah. Blindsided. And I also managed to watch the entire first season of Ratchet, okay. which I liked a lot. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> you can't help it. You've, if you've seen both, you know exactly what I'm saying. It scratches that American horror story itch. <laughs> I mean, it's made by the same people and has a lot of the same actors in it. So Exactly. Did you know, though, that it's a prequel to One, one Flew, Flew Over, over the, the Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest? Nest? Yeah. 
I didn't. I did not till last night, but (laughs) (laughs) the wife told me because I've never watched that. Oh, I've seen it. It's just, it's been a really long time and I'm trying to figure out how they're going to come together on that. But Ratchet is supposed to be a two season show. Okay. So we for sure got a season two coming and, and I guess it'll explain how we get from where we started to where we end up. And the haunting of Bly Manor came out two days ago and I really wanted to watch it, but I had to finish prepping for this episode. So I, I held off as the best I could. I haven't started it yet and I'm going to reward myself for finishing this episode by watching the haunting of Bly Manor this week. I watched three episodes today before coming in here and the wife, we had to wait to actually start recording because of my internet for the wife to finish the fourth episode while I was getting ready for this. Um, but I won't spoil anything yet to watching the whole thing about the only other thing I watched the Adam Sandler, Hubie Halloween. We're going to watch that. (sighs) How was it? It looks like it's in vain of Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison to me. It is, and it's a lot of callbacks, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> but it's it feels like it's it's geared more towards like a tween audience in all seriousness. Okay. So, so Do you think my kids could watch it? The way the stuff sprinkled in there is there's some stuff that's obviously going to go over kids' heads, but adults get. But there is uh-huh. some some stuff that younger kids maybe not, but not a lot. I mean, my kids are young, but I probably let them watch stuff they shouldn't. Anyways, speaking of what we watch, I watched Little Monsters and Monster Squad with them yesterday. So nice. They had to sleep in the same bed. My daughter was not not going to sleep in a room by herself. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I guess it's time to get on to the flicks. And before I get into my movie, I just want to say, boy, was I wrong when I said that I thought Dream Child was my least favorite of the franchise last <laughs> week. Old memories will do that to you. American Werewolf in uh, Paris comes to mind. <laughs> oh, for you. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> Always. I, I still fully feel that Nightmare 5 Dream Child was just a quick money grab to make a sequel and get money that ended up decent. Whereas Freddy's Dead, I feel like they were honestly trying to do something new and inventive and tried and failed. Yeah. So I still have that feeling for Dream Child, but... This just isn't a good movie. <laughs> and of course, I'm talking about Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare that came out in 1991. And I would go as far to even say it's not even a horror film. Yeah, it's, it's more like a slapstick schlock with horror elements. And that's okay, I guess, because that's what the director and Robert England, everybody was going for. Specifically, that was the plan for it. I think it was a swing and a miss, but that was the plan. So at least they weren't trying to make a scary horror movie and we got that, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's go through (laughs) the cast and crew real quick, shall we? So the movie was directed by Rachel Talalay, who is a producer through, I think the whole series, if not all, most of it. Right. Yeah. And she's very prominent on any of the docs on the franchise as well. Yeah. She's the one that actually remembers everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was her first director credit though. And afterwards, she did Tank Girl, Fuck which yeah. I kind of get that vibe between the two movies. You can you can see the directorial style. 
But after that, she did a lot of TV. And I mean a lot of TV and still is doing a lot of TV. Most recently, she's done a bunch of episodes of Doctor Who over the past few seasons and worked on most of the current CW shows, like all the Flash and and like Riverdale and Arrow and all that shit, which I thought was really neat. And she has a movie coming out on Netflix, I think this month, called A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, which looks kind of cool on the little preview thing they do on Netflix. Oh, sweet. So I'll definitely check that out. I mean, this might not be my favorite nightmare movie, but I don't fault her for it. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a really weird stance I have on this movie because they went a direction that I think was terrible, but they executed it perfectly. Does that make sense? I'll save it for the end. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel also had a writing credit on the film, but the primary writer was Michael DeLuca who became a huge movie and TV producer. And I mean, huge. And there's way too many credits to to even mention so just look the guy up on imdb but i'm talking about huge blockbuster films as well as horror films in here as far as writing credits though since that's what he did specifically in this movie i think this was the first thing he wrote but he also wrote in the mouth of madness directed by john carpenter and he wrote the 1995 judge dread okay which i haven't seen in forever but i remember loving that movie when i was a kid so so it's it, this whole horror to comics jump is just, it's always been there and we just didn't realize it. <laughs> I think I did realize it. You just don't have the comic book angle to figure it out. Oh, okay. Right? okay. <laughs> Let's get started with our cast here. There's a guy you might've never heard of by the name of Robert England who plays somebody named Freddy Krueger. Holy fuck. And, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And you guys know what Robert England's been in. We've been talking about him for the past several episodes. So as far as newcomers, we got Lisa Zane as Maggie or Catherine, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> and she's Billy Zane's sister, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, I never realized that. And I think she's the older sister. I had no fucking clue until you pointed that out to me. <laughs> I can't unsee it, though. No. And I mean more like Billy Zane and Critters. Like that Billy Zane is the one I can't unsee from her. (laughs) I believe she was primarily like a stage actress and singer is what I was reading. Like she did a lot of like theater and stuff like that. And they actually had a musical number in this movie for her at one point in a dream sequence because she's a singer. Oh, dear God. And that got cut. Yeah. Thank God. Um, (laughs) She's done a lot of TV work, but I believe this was her only horror credit. And there were so many TV shows on there that stood out. Like, I think she was on ER and stuff, like, just that I know the name of. But a show that I was a fan of that nobody's probably ever fucking heard of was Roar, and she was the queen on that. I, I, don't, I don't know that one. <laughs> Nobody does. I even on the box set, I'll loan it to you. I think there was, like, one whole season. Okay. It's starring Heath Ledger, and it's, like, about the Celts going to battle with, like, the Romans during, like, like the Middle Ages or whatever. It's, okay. it's cool fucking This show. sounds vaguely familiar now. <laughs> we have Sean Greenblatt as John Doe, who's been in a few other things, but honestly, he hasn't done much besides this movie. Okay. We have Leslie Dean as Tracy, and she was in 976 Evil, which was directed by Robert England, and I'm sure he's part of why she was on here. And apparently she was on the show Dynasty, which was like a nice throwback <laughs> to Dream Master, right? <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, I read that she was a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. What? At some point, I don't know when there. And then she was in a band called Fem to Fem, and she's now the singer of Scary Cherry and the Bang Bangs, which is why she's dressed up like that in the Never Sleep Again interview, like the makeup and the blood and the dress. That's like her band outfit. Oh, I thought she was just like a 
a, a hardcore roller derby chick that like did herself up like that to be scary. Like in all seriousness, I honestly think she might do roller derby as well, <laughs> but I've pulled up on YouTube her band before that she's the singer in and that's how she looks on stage. So that's okay. like her, her persona now, I guess it is so weird on the never sleep again documentary though. She has the girl's head in her lap the whole time and she's like petting her hair. I know. Right. And I think that's a bandmate actually. That would make Don't sense. Don't quote me on that part though. We have Ricky Dean Logan as Carlos, and he actually was called in to play John Doe and got the part of John Doe. It was completely cast to be John Doe, but he saw the part of Carlos, and he thought it was more interesting, and he asked if he could be swapped, and they let him do it. So that's pretty neat that he went from the starring role, or one of the, you know, one of the two starring roles to a, um, I don't want to say lesser role, but a non-starring role by choice, right? Well, his... He's, he's one of the better things in the movie, so he, I think he made the right call. I know. <laughs> and I noticed that he was in Back to the Future 2 and 3. He's in Needle's Gang, which I think Needle's is Flea, right? So he's like in Flea's yeah. Gang, like no matter if it's the future version or the Wild West version, he was in the gang. And like Holy he, shit. he had random acting roles. Like he's in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, but he's like one of the high school kids at the prom at the end covered in blood screaming for like Buffy to save him and stuff. You know, like so he had random roles like that, which sucks. He's a pretty good actor, I yeah. thought, in this movie. He's one of the better parts. He did a bunch of voice work on the Spawn cartoon, which is kind of neat. And okay. he's done a, some TV work. So he didn't get as big as I would have thought he would have. There's a couple of people in this franchise like Dan. I, I would have thought would have been a bigger star than he was, but yeah. maybe they just had other things they wanted to do in life besides act. Possibly this next person. I'm going to name so many movies just because they were prominent when we were growing up. I feel like, but Brecken Myers in this movie is Spencer. <laughs> and of course he was in clueless, the craft road trip, Josie and the pussycats. And who can forget all of his work on robot chicken as a writer, lots and lots of voices on there. And, is he one of the co-creators, actually? He may be. I'm, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, he's, he's, he's done a lot of shit. Because him and Seth Green, I, I'm pretty sure, are like best friends. I always think of him, he's Boba Fett's voice anytime they do Star Wars stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it always, it always sticks out. And uh, I would say the last primary cast member was Yafet Kodo as Doc. And he's in so many movies and TV shows throughout his career that I... I can't even begin to mention him. <laughs> I mean, hell, he was in a James Bond movie. He's in Live and Let Die. But as far as genre flicks go, he was Parker in Alien. So how can you forget oh, that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I understand why I recognized him. <laughs> hey, anyways. Special effects. We got John Carl Beekler is the <laughs> chief makeup effects person. And he needs no introduction, right? We've covered him on so many different episodes and yeah. in this franchise, but he, I, I believe he was in charge of all the makeup effects. Magical media industries did all the special makeup effects, which was John's company. So that makes sense. Okay. Dream quest images did the special visual effects and they were Disney owned and became the secret lab and did lots and lots of big movies. But some of the earlier ones from when we were kids was escape from New York and ET. Those jumped out to me. Ah, but I mean, like they were all the way up to like 2000, I think, doing like blockbuster movies. So they did a lot of the special effects in this movie. And the Chandler group did the Freddy Vision visual effects, which it looks like some of their heavy hitters were most of the 90s Batman movies. And I believe I got it in my notes further down that I think they did like a lot of the visual effects for Terminator 2, right? Ah. Which is going to come to play later. A couple little things I want to go over before I dive into the movie. Peter Jackson actually wrote a script for this movie. 
Yeah. In his script, Freddy was old and decrepit and powerless. And he was basically a joke in Springwood. And kids would take like sleeping pills and shit so they could pass out and go whoop Freddy's ass in the dream world. And basically, he managed to accidentally kill one and get his strength back and start hunting them all down again. It's really different, but kind of a neat idea. Yeah. I would have had to have seen how how it went. And Rachel decided to pass on that script, but this set Peter up with New Line Cinema to put him in the position where he was able to make Lord of the Rings down the road. So that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, crazy how shit like that happens. And there was another script that, forgive me, I, I didn't write down who wrote it, but the script in between Peter Jackson and the DeLuca script involved the Dream Police. And... <laughs> It was the 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 dream warriors that were dead. It was like Kincaid and Joey and I don't remember who else. And they were the dream police and they had like cars and shit and they could chase down and hunt Freddy through the dream world. And that was like a big script. And Rachel's like, fuck no on that one. That's when she brought DeLuca in. And the last thing I'm going to say before we get into the actual movie, and I probably say it multiple times throughout here as I go through my notes because I was writing it on my own. But when I was doing some behind the scenes research, I saw Robert England and Rachel Talalay use the words intentional Looney Tunes. Hey, yeah. <laughs> like they wanted it to be like Looney Tunes. And like I said, I don't agree with it, but if that was the intentional goal, <laughs> they knocked it out the park. Oh, again, I'll wait for the end. <laughs> We open up with some text on the screen and it says, do you know the terror of he who falls asleep to the very toes? He is terrified because the ground gives way under him and the dream begins. Frederick Nietzsche. And I'm sure I butchered the guy's name, but sorry, that's where we're leaving it. And then it pops up and says, welcome to prime time, bitch, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and I think this opening right here is the perfect synopsis of the film and how serious it takes itself with it going from one serious quote about dreams to a random goofy Freddy punt. And honestly, I think it encompasses the whole movie and it has a very dated nineties song <laughs> playing in the background. <laughs> this whole fucking movie has dated nineties songs, <laughs> but we see a really dated computer graphic of the U S pop up with Springwood, Ohio marked. And it really makes you think of war games. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just the graphics and everything. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> exactly. And it says 10 years from now, and basically it states that mysterious killings and suicides wiped out all the children and teenagers of the small town, and that now all the adults are experiencing mass psychosis. And, oh yeah, there's one surviving teen somehow, right? <laughs> Excellent writing thus far. <laughs> This movie has some of the worst writing <laughs> I've ever seen. It's just like, it's like they knew they had to get somewhere yeah. with Freddy to have a battle and they knew they wanted to have an origin story and they had no clue how to get to either one of those. So they just wrote down a bunch of shit and shot it. Honestly, I know I'm already tearing the movie apart, but I just, I got to get that out there because you're going to think my notes are shit here in a minute. It's just the way the movie happens. <laughs> But we see a plane flying through a storm and we see a stressed teen that does not want to be in the window seat and he's just watching out at the wing. And it's very reminiscent of the Twilight Zone right here. Like it's that whole vibe from that Twilight Zone episode and movie, right? Yeah. Which is right back to Looney Tunes. Exactly. <laughs> and an ominous little girl in pigtails pops up on the seat in front of him to let him know that he's going to make him help him because he's the last, 
right? That's, that's our exposition here. <laughs> he then tries to talk to the older lady next to him to let her know that he's afraid of heights. And she's very compassionate about his situation. Don't be a pussy. Still okay with the movie so far. <laughs> But at this point, a hole burst in the hole over the woman, and she's instantly sucked out of the plane in the air. And our mysterious teen yells that it's not fair and that he's almost out. And then he falls off the bottom of the plane, plummeting to his death. Whole scene looks badass. Yes. Like the rig that they did for it. The movie has really good special effects, honestly. they You could tell they went all out. That's probably where most of the budget went. Yeah, not on the actors. <laughs> <laughs> But he awakens in his bed right before he would have smashed into the roof of his house. And he runs to look outside the window because you can hear some wind whipping around. And he can see that he's in his house, which is falling and plummeting to the ground. And we can hear a very Looney Tunes score kick in in the background, right? Like the kill the wabbit. Like it's that <laughs> song basically playing. And Freddy comes riding by on a broom in a witch's hat and a witch's cloak. And he says, I will get you my little pretty and your little soul too. And yes, that just fucking happened. I just said that. <laughs> and honestly, I'm okay with this still. Like yeah. other than the score in the background, it's pretty like Freddie is funny in the franchise at this point. Right. And that's a nice little throwback because this shows him using like how absurd dreams are. I, I'm happy anytime dreams are used to proper effect yeah. in, in these kill scenes, right? Well, and that music, they're they're looney, looney tunes in the Wizard of Oz, which makes sense with what we're seeing. So it's it all works. We haven't we're not fucked yet. It starts off so strong. <laughs> but anyways, so you could just talk about the movie and I will tear it to shreds and in interjections. <laughs> but yeah, okay, I, okay. I, I'm I'm with you though, man. We're we're okay. We're okay so far. <laughs> But as the house crashes in the ground, the teen is ejected from the window and he appears to be on Elm Street and he walks to 1428 Elm Street, which is for sale. And then he tries to make a run for it. And in a very slapstick manner, falls and rolls through the entire town downhill until he ends up at a bus stop manned by Bob Shea, who gives him a ticket right before he's hit by a phantom bus driven by Freddy. So this is now the second movie to have Freddy driving a bus. in. <laughs> Man, he falls down that hill for what feels like seven minutes. That's how they do the credits. Like, while he's rolling, the credits are popping <laughs> yeah. up on the bottom. It's like, what the fuck? I wish I would have made a bigger point of this as we went through the franchise, the varying degrees of coolness and shitty logos for the films. But I thought this had one of the cooler ones. Yes. Yeah. Two has the shittiest one. It really does. <laughs> it has a, It has half of one of the best ones yeah. and half of the worst one. Yes. Right? <laughs> Depends if you're talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street or the Freddy's Revenge part. <laughs> they had it half right. <laughs> I know, I know. But Freddy drives the bus with, with the teen stuck on the front. And he says something about no screaming while the bus is in motion or something like that. And he locks up the brakes and he throws the teen out of Springwood city limits and tells him to go fetch. And when he, when he flies out of the city limits, he hits his head on a rock and knocks himself out. Right. And there's a hole torn in between like two realities that looks like something out of who framed Roger rabbit. Yeah. Like it's shaped like him and his fingers and everything. But this also goes into like, reality of the dream world mixing together again and make zero fucking sense yeah yeah we mm -mm, no more rules <laughs> you just can't <laughs> because he physically got thrown in the road and hit his head on the rock like that's a fact we're about to see so yeah. how did he get there unless he was just sleepwalking the whole time and dreamed the bus i guess hey. but they don't do a good job of showing that yeah they don't but yeah 
I would have been okay with it. We that. do see a lot of sleepwalking in this movie, but there's some shit in this movie that we're about to get into. This is Poltergeist 2 ending level here. Oh, it's so much worse. <laughs> but the teen wakes up from where he hit his head on a rock and he checks his pocket and he has a newspaper clipping about a missing Kruger woman, some cash and some knockoff no-dos, right? We then cut to a, a recovery home for troubled teens, and we see Spencer is playing a badass Ninja Gaiden Tiger handheld game <laughs> that I had, right? I think we actually used to loan that one to each other, that and the Metal Gear. I remember swapping those. You're the one guy that has, that's it, in the last 10 years that said badass and Tiger handheld in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> They were cool at the time, man. Dude, they were, I guess, especially when I was poor and you, you they started showing up at the fucking supermarkets because they were that, oh, yeah, oh, that yeah. cheap to produce then. Yeah, dude, we all fucking, they showed up in like Happy Meals at, at one point. I know. <laughs> Anyways. I just remember we used to trade them, right? Yeah. Like we'd swap them like at holidays when we'd see each other. Oh. But we find out that his dad has him there for both a video game addiction and trying to burn the house down again. And we're introduced to Maggie, who is a social worker here, and she's trying to talk to Spencer about facing his father as her boss comes in with a pipe bomb that he found in Spencer's room. And he wants to know how they keep making this shit. And then they wonder why the police will not get rid of any of the shit. And they decide that they're going to go store the pipe bomb in the basement with the rest of the arsenal. Bullshit. <laughs> MacGuffin. <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah, this place is very, very poorly managed. You know what I mean, though? Like, it is the most bullshit MacGuffin foreshadowing, though, I've ever seen in film history. Yeah, yeah. It is It is beyond shoehorned in there. It is cut open, shoved in, and not even stitched back together. <laughs> but somewhere in here, we're also introduced to Tracy, who just got in trouble for beating the shit out of another kid and a cop's ass that tried to break him up. And we find out that she does not like people touching her and that she works out with a guy named Doc there at the facility, right? We then cut to two cops pulling up on an alleyway as the mysterious teen is popping the no-dos and they think he's a junkie and we find out that they really hate paperwork. So instead of arresting the homeless junkie they think they found, they're just going to go throw them in social services and let them do the paperwork. And this reflection of the real world treatment of the homeless is the scariest part of the film. <laughs> oh, I'm not laughing at that fact. I'm just laughing at your delivery, but yeah. <laughs> But anyways, we cut back to Tracy beating on a punching bag and we are introduced to Carlos, who we see as deaf. And they do the first time of showing the neat trick in the movie where if he takes his hearing aid out, sound dies out. Right. And that's done pretty well in this movie. And it, it's used later to a great effect. Yes. And this is one of those times where it seems like I'm just randomly cutting from exposition scene to exposition scene, but that's because in this movie, they're randomly cutting from exposition scene <laughs> to exposition scene, and we just got to go with the flow. Oh, there is no flow. <laughs> I'm trying my best here. Oh. We now see Maggie meeting with Doc and discussing dream therapy and her reoccurring dream that she has and how she's sick of hearing about dreams. But she's talking about her own dream problem. I just want to throw that out there. And Maggie notices a new poster in his office and he explains that it's a picture of these dream demons that traveled through the dream world until they find the most evil person imaginable and use them as a host. And that host is given the power to cross the line and bring nightmares into reality, right? Like, that's most of Freddy's origin story now, apparently. Yeah, it's it's almost like they, some of the stuff they put in this is like, we have to make this for someone who doesn't know what Freddy Krueger is at all. 
and just try to cram all this in it. <laughs> I saw Rachel in one of the many interviews that I watched say that they wanted to have an origin and they wanted to have the origin of actual Fred Krueger, the human filmed for once. And they wanted to have a reason for his powers because this was the last film and it just needed to all be brought to light. Maybe different people needed to do it. <laughs> the dream demon idea wasn't that bad of an idea. It was no. just not done well either. Yeah. Great idea. Poorly executed. And, and I'm just going to say this here so I can get it off my chest and I won't interrupt you. I promise. But I don't, I don't like Lisa Zane in this movie. She is so fucking rigid. I just, I just don't. I like her in parts, but the parts are few and far between. And I don't think she's a bad actress. It's kind of like watching Hayden Christensen in the Star Wars prequels as Anakin. Like, I don't think he's a bad actor. It's just what he was told to do is what I feel like. And I I feel that way with her. But as they're having this dream conversation, they're interrupted by the police bringing in a teen with amnesia. And this is our mysterious teen who I will now refer to as John Doe because that's his name for the rest of the movie. And all he knows is that wherever he is from, he's the last of his kind and he cannot go to sleep. And the way he's talking, it's like the motherfucker hasn't slept in like years or something. You fucking die after so many days. Okay. Like you can't do that. (laughs) What did Nancy say? The record was like nine days or something. You won't die to 11. I don't remember specifically some shit like that. But that night we see John trying to stay awake, singing the bottles of beer on the wall song and pissing off all of his, uh, new neighbors right in this little hostile looking room and we see maggie pass out at her desk and the woman in the newspaper clipping pops up and says i won't tell and we see maggie's dream of a little girl playing in a yard with robert england and i don't mean fred krueger i mean robert england and i want to point out this is the little girl from the airplane at the beginning yeah and in the background we hear the scream of the mother and Maggie wakes up. Meanwhile, John realizes that he's fallen asleep and he has blood dripping on him from the ceiling and the pipes. And he's now in the Elm street house with the little girl and she won't tell him who he is when he asks. Right. So John follows her through the house, but we see in real life that he's sleepwalking from a guard's perspective and defying the laws of physics as he walks up the air, like he's going in up the stairs in his dream. Yeah. Do you remember when the kids would just dream in their bed? Like normal dreams. Like what the fuck? And I'm bringing that up just because that's uh, a huge problem I have in this movie and it's about to get worse. (laughs) But he finds himself bloody and in a straight jacket in a padded room in the dream and he's given some sage advice. Free me, you idiot. I'm your fucking memory. He wakes up as he accidentally knocks the guard through a glass door, right? Because he's sleepwalking, right? And he bumps into the guard who's checking on him. Yeah. And... I guess they throw him in a meeting with Maggie because we cut straight to her office and he's in there telling her about his dream. And she realizes that it's the same little girl from her reoccurring dream with the same water tower in the background. And this is all in that newspaper clipping as well. The water tower, that is. Yeah. And she goes to meet with Doc for some advice. And he says that they're linked in some way and he doesn't like that, but they need to get to the bottom of this. So we're going to cue Breckin Myers first road trip, right? As we pop into this one, (laughs) because Maggie grabs John and heads to Springwood in one of the shelter's vans, right? And John starts to doze off as they drive into Springwood. And then he thinks he sees the little girl in the middle of the road and he tries to take the wheel from Maggie and swerves and she locks it up and they slide and stop. And we see that they have three stowaways in the van that have now flown up front, right? Yep. And Maggie's pissed as she now has to figure out what to do with Tracy, Carlos, and Spencer to get them back to the shelter. 
So they stop at a town fair in Springwood to use a phone and it's very odd and just has adults acting odd everywhere. And it seems really out of place. And honestly, it seems like a scene out of Twin Peaks, I thought. And then I saw Rachel actually say they purposely made it look like an episode of Twin Peaks. So I guess mission accomplished once again. But John is the first to realize that there's no kids. And he points this out to Maggie. We see the trio of stowaways, however, trying to use the phone to call like they're supposed to, but they get assaulted by Tom and Roseanne Arnold at the time. Now she's Roseanne Barr again. And she wants to take the kids home and she says she will do a better job to protect them this time. And he lets her know that the kids bring him, right? So it's all ominous, right? Or they're talking about <laughs> Fred fucking Kruger. We, we got this. Yeah. The acting's very odd and stiff out of them. I would say, especially out of Tom Arnold, who I really like in movies like True Lies and stuff, right? So it was like really odd. He, he feels like he's there doing a favor and just wants to get done and get out. I actually thought Roseanne was pretty good in the scene because she's got a bit of that over-the-topness that she just brings. But I, I was always a huge fan of her and her show growing up, too, so I may be partial to that. Yeah. What I can't get past is the back to the bad management of, hey, you kids that are trying to run away from the center, go make a phone call and you can take the van. <laughs> I get you, but honestly, it appears they're scared of Maggie and respect her to some extent because they were trying to do it anyway. They were doing what they were told. Like yeah, they yeah. knew they were in trouble, right? But yeah. if I was trying to escape and that's what I got told to do, I would take the van and leave town. <laughs> I think they don't want to end up in jail, which is the other alternative. They get caught breaking the rules, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, they're all startled by the school bell ringing because we're now in Silent Hill. Okay. Yeah, no, that would have been that would have been cooler, right? <laughs> but uh, the school bell goes off and it draws John and Maggie to the school, and they start to check it out as the trio takes the van to go back to the shelter because Maggie actually gives them the van at some point and says, "I'll figure out how we're going to get back." Right, and the trio can't leave town and seem to be stuck in a time loop uh, because they just keep driving and taking turns, and they keep driving by the same statue that says something about for the children, right? Do you remember a time in this franchise when the kids actually had to be asleep to be affected by Freddy's magic? Yeah, yeah. Or at least someone near them asleep. <laughs> I know, I know. And and I, they make the joke like, because Spencer is constantly smoking weed in this movie. And Tracy says something like, God, it's hard enough to stay awake without you smoking that shit next to me. So I guess maybe she's supposed to be high. And then, I don't know, it gets confusing because they take turns driving. But at this point, Carlos is, is dozing off and she's like, Carlos, the map. And he grabs the map and opens it and it keeps unfolding, right? Like it's a never ending map and it won't stop until eventually gets to the middle and in blood it says, You're fucked. Right? Yes. And I love that scene. That is fucking fantastic. That's the kind of slapstick Freddy I like to see. Yeah. And that's nightmarish. Yes, yes, yes. And. He's eventually like woken up by her actually asking for the map, right? And he's like freaked out and chunks the maps. He don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, because he's like, Carlos, what does the map say? The map says we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but back in town, we can see that there's a teacher in the school manically teaching Freddy 101 to a class of no one. And Maggie discovers a photo album in the classroom and sees the blank spot where John took the clipping from, right? Conveniently. Yep. And... <laughs> They find out that Freddie had a kid that was taken from him here at Springwood, right? And they make a big point about something on the wall with these plaques that happened every 10 years. 
The franchise yeah. is barely 20 years old at this point. He's not fucking Pennywise. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get what that was. And it didn't make any sense then. It doesn't make any sense now. And they don't bring it up again in the film. Well, the, the franchise is only seven years old at this point. Is it it's really? Even, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's I'm, even worse. I'm thinking more modern. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I've never understood that in there. I like the teacher dude, though. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he acted like a manic fucking teacher that <laughs> lost his shit, right? <laughs> Little rhymes and shit. Yeah, and he's doing like actual historical events, but throwing Freddy in. It's kind of fucking crazy. (laughs) But we come back to the trio and see that it's nighttime and they're tired and they wander to an abandoned street so they can squat in a house, right? And the street happens to be Elm Street and they bust into a house that we've never seen before in the franchise. Until the walls start to shake and the windows start to break and the doors and walls start to bleed and the House basically explodes, and we see that it was just an outer wall around the 1428 Elm Street house, and the for sale sign of the yard burns away. And how the fuck is all this happening in the real world again? (laughs) I don't know, but it looks cool. (laughs) It looks so cool, but I'm going to keep bringing this up because it's constantly shit happening in the real world. And, uh, you know, Freddy's Revenge is apparently the leper of the franchise because Freddy popped out at a pool party one time in a kid's body. Okay, in all seriousness, see if see if this works. Okay, so it opens with all the kids are gone, and there's the one survivor. Are we supposed to, is what they were trying to convey is that after getting the souls of every fucking kid but one, that Freddy's this powerful enough, at least in this town, to affect the real world that much? Maybe, but they never said that. That would have been so easy for them to say without shoehorning for all the shit they did shoehorn in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's, but I'm, I'm trying. Why am I trying? <laughs> it's Freddy's dead, man. This is the Halloween resurrection of the franchise. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but Carlos doesn't give a fuck about what John Doe was saying about how they all had to stay awake. And he decides to just go get in a dusty ass bed and fall asleep. He can hear Tracy yelling for him and he goes to look for her. But what he ends up finding is his mom who wants to clean his ears out for being a bad boy with these giant Q-tips. And we find out that's how he lost his hearing, right? So his mom basically punctured his eardrums. Yep. And his mom turns into Freddy who rams a giant Q-tip in one ear and out the other ear with part of his brain hanging off without killing him. Which I remember Freddy used to be able to kill people when he did shit like that. (laughs) And I would bitch about that. But what we're about to get is one of the coolest scenes in the movie. Yes. Because Freddy then cuts off one of his ears and it happens to be the ear with the hearing aid on it and this makes him go deaf right and we can hear like the the what is like the tinnitus sound in the background you can kind of hear muffled noises happening but he doesn't know what the fuck's going on right yeah and he's basically sparta kicked by freddy through a wall into the boiler room and it's really funny because he's wandered around holding his bleeding ear while Freddy's running behind him, like waving and jumping up and down, yelling, doing jumping jacks, but you can't hear shit. Yeah. And once again, it's a slapstick that I'm okay with and really funny. Totally love it. It sounds like I love this movie right now, right? And that's because these are the scenes that stuck in my head without seeing the movie in 10 or 15 years. <laughs> but at some point, Carlos begs for his hearing back and Freddy's up on a balcony in the boiler room and drops his hearing aid down to him and he puts it on the other ear, but it then bonds to his head and like becomes this mechanical thing that like sticks in. Right. And it gives him super hearing. 
And every sound that he hears is really loud and hurtsome. And there's like dripping water that just sounds like somebody beating on a drum, right? Yeah. So he, he goes and he turns the faucet off to stop it. And and this is very nightmare-like, right? Yes. And we then hear Freddie laughing and he's up on the uh, balcony and he pulls a needle out of his glove, right? Well, he pulls it out of his finger. Oh, is it out of his finger? Okay. Yeah, he, yeah. He drops the needle and it's falling and it sounds like one of the bombs falling, right? Like, and Carlos is freaking out and uh, he dies and he catches the needle and he's like, oh, thank God. And then he looks up at Freddie, who has an entire box of needles. And Carlos is like, you wouldn't do that, would you, man? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and and Freddie drops hundreds of needles, right? There's no way Carlos can catch them. Yeah, it's so good. And after Carlos recovers from this, Freddie pops up behind him with a chalkboard that he can like stretch and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I want to know how they did the effect because it looked really cool. And I couldn't, I mean, obviously there's a seam in there, right? Yeah. But it was no pun intended seamless <laughs> the way they did it. Anyways, it gets huge and Freddie starts to just finger knives on the chalkboard and he's like making these weird faces and like dancing around where he's doing it. It's kind of hilarious. And he does it until Carlos's eyes and nose and ears starts bleeding. And then his head pops. Nice hearing from you, Carlos. <laughs> as slapstick as all of that scene is, I really like it because it really felt like Freddy fucking with a kid's worst fear in the dream world. Like, it's what I like to see with the nightmares. Yeah, and it's still slapsticky, Looney Tunes-esque without going too far. Especially, like you said, when he's going full ham on the, the chalkboard and he's, like, humping it while he's doing it and shit. It's yeah, so yeah. good. Honestly, there's only one dream sequence in this movie that I feel is just like so bad and out of place, but it's so bad that it tanks most of the rest of the movie for me. It almost makes me feel like I'm being unfair to the movie because of this one scene that we're getting close to. Yeah. So like saying that scene's at a pivotal point. <laughs> I know, but we can see that Spencer's baked on the couch and he's watching a busted TV. And by busted, I mean like the screen shattered. There's nothing on. That's yeah, Elvis's and- TV. <laughs> and Carlos is in the TV with a bunch of zombies and he's yelling for Spencer to not fall asleep. And Tracy leaves the house to go look for Carlos because she's worried because you could kind of tell they were pretty close back at the shelter, right? Yeah. We cut back to John and Maggie who are checking out the orphanage in town to find out more about this Kruger kid. And John is convinced that he is Freddie's kid. And Tracy shows up at the house randomly to grab Maggie and John to help her go find Carlos since he's missing. And at this point, I want to bring up that in the original version of the script, and I mean the DeLuca script, even, I believe maybe it was the dream police script. Maybe it was a bit of both, but originally this was supposed to be Jacob grown up, but then they realized their timeline was fucked because <laughs> he would have been like 10 and they yeah. couldn't do it because it's supposed to be 10 years after dream child, basically. Right. So yeah. Honestly, that's where I would have expected them to have gone with something with Jacob. That would have been the natural progression is to just time lapse it and have Jacob as a teenager. But, you know, they yeah. fucked up all sorts of shit with this movie. <laughs> but back at the Elm Street house, we see Spencer waking up to uh, it's basically like the off air sound on the TV. It sounds like. And he gets the this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Egg commercial that we all grew up with yeah however it's johnny depp doing it which was a nice cameo yeah and all seems normal with this ad and spencer's bored by it until johnny depp is knocked the fuck out by freddie with a frying pan what are you on looks like a frying pan and some eggs to me (laughs) (laughs) i'm still okay with this But Freddie tells Spencer that it's time to trip out and he makes a psychedelic video appear on the TV, which comes out and grabs Spencer and 
sucks him into the TV to Inagata DeVita, right? And Maggie and Cruz show up to find that he's now missing, which is really weird. So was he actually sucked into the TV or is he supposed to, I guess he's sleepwalking from what we'll see in a minute. Yeah. Well, now this goes back to like why I gushed so much about hallucinations and drugs in Midsummer, because no weed is going to do this, number one. But this stupid animated <laughs> stuff, I can't stand in movies. And then they're like, what's the trippiest song we could put in there? In a God of DeVita, man. Like, it's so. Oh, and it's going to get worse. Yeah, shit. <laughs> Shit's the word you wanted to use. <laughs> this is the scene, by the way, and it has some iconic jokes in here that I really like. It would make you think I'd like the scene on paper. We should both love the scene as video game nerds, yes. but it was done poorly. Yes. But we can see that Freddie's playing a video game where he's controlling Spencer and he's basically taking them through several stages of abuse, right? Yeah. No, I'm playing with power. And it's really interesting because apparently Rachel really wanted to put the Nintendo power glove in at the time, which was basically a useless peripheral for the Nintendo. Not according to the wizard. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Moving your arm did nothing. There was no motion controls. You basically had all the buttons on your wrist and hand and had to use your offhand. Well, uh, assuming you're a righty, use your offhand to play all the keys right, and it sucked. But <laughs> Rachel wanted it in the movie. Bob asked Nintendo. Nintendo told Bob no. Bob oh. told Rachel, fuck it, do it anyways. <laughs> and they put, you know, it, it looked like a steampunk version of the Nintendo Power Glove. Yeah. And they even have Freddy say that now you're playing with power line, which is Nintendo line and apparently sold a bunch of Nintendo power gloves because Freddy had one and they never sued new line for it. Oh, so. that's what, well, well now hang on. Cause <laughs> Nintendo, here's the weird part though. Cause the power glove, I don't, I think it was officially licensed, but it was actually made by Mattel. So I wonder, okay. I wonder if Nintendo, cause we, even today we all see Nintendo, if you fart and it sounds like Mario, they'll sue. Um, <laughs> but maybe, maybe they didn't care that much back then. Cause like, man, this is selling these shitty unworking power glove games. At least it's moving them. <laughs> yeah. How are they going to get rid of the gloves anyways? Oh, Freddie's wearing it now. So it's fine. Yeah. And now they're fucking $150. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, I'm still okay with this little sequence right now seeing him in the itchy and scratchy video game that I remember <laughs> playing. Great graphics. But what I'm not okay with is we find out that Spencer's sleepwalking through the house and walking around, and he's actually punching like a video game character and getting thrown through walls and jumping up and down on things like Mario and the real world. I can't stand any of this like sleepwalking type shit they did. And it, it's not like the kid in Dream Warrior who actually had a sleepwalking problem and Freddy made it look like a suicide when he fucking used his veins as a marionette and walked his ass off a building, right? Like, it's not like Tina getting dragged on the ceiling because Freddy's doing it. The kid is actually acting like the video game character and it's fucking stupid. You have the cartoon sounds and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just when you think it's bad enough, the it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You talk about sucking you out of the moment. Yeah. And, and the closest they get to the normality of the franchise is they eventually grab Spencer and hold him down trying to help him. And I guess in the video game, Freddy's jumping on his stomach and he can basically see his like ribs breaking kind of, but not in a horror way. It's in like a Looney Tunes way where he's getting jumped on. So at least you see that happening. Yeah, that part's okay. Know. That's normal. That's what I'm saying. But the rest of it was dumb. But John wants to save Spencer by going into his dream. And he wants Tracy to knock him out. And she's trying to explain she has a better way. And then I don't He says something that he knows will 
piss her off and she knocks him the fuck out yeah. and he randomly vanishes in the real world as he falls to the ground again what the fuck like i don't get the kids disappearing in the real world because their bodies were always found right they were crime scenes before but john appears in the dream and then we see the traditional fairy magic of the nightmare on elm street franchise appear <laughs> as tracy appears in the dream and she's like i told you there's an easier way doc taught me how to meditate into my dreams <laughs> right so <laughs> They try to stop Freddy in the control room to no avail as Maggie sees Spencer die in the real world and in the his soul flies out of his body and in the dream world we see Freddy absorb the soul. What do you know? I beat my high score. <laughs> we can see that Tracy's a bit of a badass with dream powers in the in this dream. It's like Dream Warriors and Dream Master again. She's like flipping around in a kung fu fight, Freddy. Yeah. Until Maggie wakes her up and pulls her out of the dream as Freddy goes in for a fatal slash. But they can't wake John up because Tracy knocked him the fuck out. So they carry him to the van to drive him home. We see John wake up in his bed in his normal house, but everything seems okay this time. Until it isn't. And the earth falls out from under the house and he starts to fall again. And then he wakes up in his bed again. And says that nothing can make him get out of this bed. And then the bed bursts into flames, right? Yes. He then jumps out of the window and he starts to plummet towards the ground again. And he sees that his t-shirt is a parachute and he pulls the string and his t-shirt tears off and turns into a chute. And I'm okay with all this until in the van, he starts to float in real life and flies out the roof of the van. Yeah. I'm sorry. I keep saying this, but what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Subtlety guys. Subtlety. I know. In the dream world, we can see that Freddy's floating in the chute, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And he comes down towards John, and John tells him that he won't kill him because he's his son. Freddy tells him differently and tells him that <laughs> not only is John not his son, that he only kept him alive so he'd bring him his daughter. And then he cuts all the lines on the parachute, and John starts to fall. <laughs> and this is the most Looney Tunes scene in the movie. You're damn right. And I'm actually okay with this one. <laughs> As he's falling, we can see Freddy on the ground, like Wally Coyote, pushing like a giant bed of spikes on the road, trying to get it lined up under him as he's falling, right? And then we cut to the real world where Maggie's holding him in her, her arms. I don't know how she got him from floating. And you can see like the puncture holes appear in him as he landed on the spikes. And with his last dying breath, he just says to Maggie, it's not a boy. His soul flies out of his body and vanishes. And then we see Freddie absorb the soul. We then get the rather eloquent line of it's traveling time from Freddie as he jumps into Maggie's body and she heads to the shelter. And all of this sounds like fan fiction. So far, <laughs> right? like, this does not sound like a real Freddie movie. No, this is the whole parachute thing and the Looney Tunes bed of nails. That's okay. Except the shot of him bleeding in the real world looks kind of janky, but the it's traveling yeah. time and him jumping into her. Like, that's just stupid. I know. I know. We have to cover the whole franchise, though. <laughs> See, this is why we haven't done Critters yet. <laughs> no, this is why we haven't done Leprechaun. <laughs> oh. But we see back at the shelter that Maggie's trying to explain to her boss what happened to all the kids with some bullshit story about how she can't find them. They all ran away. And we can see Tracy telling Doc the whole story. But for some reason, the boss and all the kids at the shelter cannot remember any of the kids, but Doc can. And he says it must be because he can control his dreams. 
So somehow Freddy's power has erased all of these kids from existence. How does any of this make fucking sense? It doesn't. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, Rachel was a part of this franchise the whole time. I don't know why she was okay with it. I know. She doesn't. She's like the last person that. That you would have thought would have done it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who did this? Who who was she ghostwriting with? I mean, what the fuck? Or who, who was ghostwriting with who and who was ghost directing with who? Because I don't. I can't put all the blame on her. <laughs> and DeLuca wrote a few good movies after this yeah. and was a producer on amazing films. Like, did it he, just doesn't make any sense. Did he not watch any of the other movies? <laughs> it's a possibility. <laughs> I will say, though, that Rachel goes all the way back to working with John Waters before being at New Line. So she's used to doing some weird shit. <laughs> that's, her, that's her out. Yeah. And apparently, was it this one? Yeah, I think this movie had mainly a John Waters crew. I think so. Because they're like, even Tracy Lord's husband was on the set. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we shot this shit for $8. We <laughs> were amazing. <laughs> we only had to pay with lap dances and cocaine. <laughs> But somewhere in here, Maggie thinks of John's dying words and decides to go see her mother. And she finds out that she was adopted and her mom doesn't know who her real parents were. And we cut to Tracy somewhere in here and she's practicing punching on the punching bag before she goes to bed. And then we cut to Maggie in her bed asleep because, yeah, that's how this movie works. (laughs) And there's a bottle of pills next to her on the nightstand. And I told myself I'd rewind it and see if it was like sleeping pills or hypnosil or what. And I just didn't care enough to go back and watch <laughs> that scene a third time. So I can't tell you what was on the bottle, but it's probably important because it's like right front and center there. I don't know either. <laughs> Come on, man. This is your franchise. You should know everything. I, I sleep through this one. Uh, I forgot Halloween Resurrection existed when we outlined <laughs> that franchise last year or so. And you're like, well, where's this one? Funny joke. And I'm like, oh shit, I actually forgot. <laughs> but Maggie has a dream of being a little girl playing with Robert as the mom screams and the mom says she will never tell. And Robert tells little Maggie to go inside as he grabs the mom. And little Maggie sneaks into the basement of the house instead of the house proper and finds a hidden room in there. That's full of gloves with different blades and nails on them. Newspaper clippings of missing kids and, and killed kids and trophies of these kids. And little Maggie then turns into adult Maggie in the white schoolgirl outfit and the pigtails and stuff. I'm okay with this. And then actual Freddy Krueger appears in the room with her and addresses her as Catherine, right? Freddie explains that she is his blood and the only one that could take him out of Springwood. And he says that they took her away from him. So he took all their children away from them. And now it's over. He then heads to the shelter and Maggie tells him that he can't. This isn't Springwood. Every town has an Elm Street. <laughs> we then see an Elm Street sign pop out of the ground. And Maggie wakes up and realizes that Tracy is in danger and she runs to the shelter to save her. Tracy is in a dream where we find out that her father sexually abused her. That's why she doesn't like people to touch her. Yep. And she beats the shit out of her dad and smashes his face into silly putty. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it looks good. It was done by Beekler. He was proud of it on the behind the scenes that I saw. It just still feels really weird, not a place. But then again, this is the slapstick Looney Tunes movie and she was beating his face in a dream. I guess yeah. it all fits. Well, it, it looks like something out of the mask, like that world, which makes sense. Yeah. But as far as nightmares go out of the whole series, that's the most uncomfortable thing 
in my opinion, in the, in the whole franchise, that's because that's real shit. And that's, that's dark. Yeah. And that makes me uncomfortable. And I'm glad that they don't hang on it. <laughs> and the actress says in an interview that the scene came very naturally to her. And she figured out that she had repressed memories of her father molesting her that came out filming that scene, which is even more fucked up. Oh, so she, she really was on Doc's couch. Yeah. That's, that's extra A-Doc's fucked couch. up, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But somewhere in here, you know, guess what? The dad turns into Freddy Krueger and Tracy tries to fight him as he taunts her. This bitch. She lets him know that this is her dream and he lets her know that it is, but it's his rules in this world. And then she burns herself to wake up as Maggie comes in the room and they head to Doc. We then cut to Doc looking for Tracy and he thinks that she's trapped in a locker because he can hear yelling for help, and he grabs a bat to look, only to find out he's being tricked by Freddy. Freddy then shows off his capoeira as Doc beats the fuck out of him with a bat, and he sees that Freddy's invincible, right? And Freddy goes over all the ways that they tried to kill him and how they didn't work, and it's kind of a cool scene. He's cutting his fingers off one yeah. at a time. He's like, they tried burning me. They tried something. And he's like, and this is my favorite. He's holding up his middle <laughs> finger. He's like, they even fucking tried holy water, you know? And I, I did like that scene. Yeah. But he tells doc that the dream people gave him this job and they said that he will be forever in the dream world. Right. So it's another shoehorn line. Yep. And Freddie goes in to kill doc as doc grabs a piece of a sweater and yanks it right as an alarm goes off in his room where he's got these probes on his head to wake him up and pull him out of the dream. And Doc tries to explain to Maggie and Tracy that he was able to pull the sweater out of the dream, which means they should be able to pull Freddy out of the dream world, and then they should be able to kill him in the real world. Didn't we already see this? Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to kill him. You just got to turn your back on him and call him shit. I know, I know. You're, you're worse than shit. I mean, Nancy brought the hat out, brought him into the real world, and killed him, and it didn't work. So why are we doing this now? Well, now we got a pipe bomb and 3D glasses. Let's go. Fuck yeah, we do. <laughs> this must mean we're diving into the third act of the film. <laughs> and not only are we diving into the third act of the film, but we're diving into the 3D part of the film. If you manage to see the movie in theaters, because that's the only way you're able to see it in 3D. Well, now, now they did it on the home version. If you want to see three of everything five feet away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even realize they ever did it on a home version. Because I just remember Rachel getting mad. She's like, we did all this work and all this money. And all these gags to be 3D, and then you could only see it in theaters. Oh, right? no. They did, they did a very shitty 3D transfer for the box set, which means they probably did it on the Laserdisc. And literally, like, when the little, little Freddy sperm are flying around, like, you have the color one, and then all the way next to it is a red one, and then all the way to the other side is a blue one. I would have to be 200 Damn. feet away from my TV. <laughs> the 3D does not work, is what I'm saying. I wish... I, do you remember the 3D from seeing it in theaters? Did it work? At least at the drive. I remember it working. It was the first 3D film I'd ever seen, and I was a kid. But I remember it looking badass, and I remember jumping. I also thought I still had the 3D glasses. They're in storage somewhere or at my mom's house. I actually went digging through boxes so that I could take a picture of them for the Instagram. But I have the red and white striped 
cardboard 3D glasses that says Freddy's Dead on one side and House Party 2 on the other side because it had an ad for House Party 2 on them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you're not making that shit up either because I remember seeing those in your house. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're in one of my many boxes of collectibles and storage from where we're in between moving and I could only dig so much. That or I left them at my parents' house. I doubt that though. They got to be somewhere. I could find 3D glasses from where I saw Bloody Valentine 3D. I found 3D glasses from where I saw. I don't remember what other fucking movie it was, but I could not <laughs> find the glasses to this and i'm gonna keep looking all right but anyways doc hooks her up to some machine he made that's got the things that he puts on her temples right like that woke him up so they can monitor dreams and pull her out when he needs to and he hands her some 3d glasses that are identical to the ones that they gave at the theater other than the house party 2 logo right (laughs) and he tells her that the glasses will protect her from Freddy's illusions. Kind of a cool idea, right? Kind of. That's more of those, like, I whatever I believe in in my dreams true, right? Yeah. She appears in the dream world, and she puts the glasses on. And if you're in theaters, this is when you are supposed to put the glasses on. However, this was not communicated well. So you had people watching the whole fucking movie with glasses on. <laughs> And leaving because they didn't understand why it didn't work. Or you had people putting the 3D glasses on when he gave her the glasses. Or you had people that didn't even bother to put them on and they didn't understand why the fucking video fucked up. (laughs) It was apparently a nightmare in release, but I remember being pretty fucking cool. Okay. But we see that Maggie is in the temple with the three dream demons on the gate, like in the poster. And she walks through the gate and basically she's entered Freddy's mind at this point. And he's aware that she's in there and he wants her out of his head. And you can see like purple electricity going around all these doors. And I don't know if it's supposed to be like his, you know, synapses or neurons, you know, something working in his brain. But you can see it's like a purple containment field in his mind. And she takes her copper bracelet off that she randomly had on and short circuits the electricity so she can walk through the doors. Ninja. (laughs) She realizes that these doors are his memories. And we see her walk into a science class to a little young Fred Krueger smashing a mouse to death with a mallet in front of a bunch of other kids. I'm okay with this. I feel like Rob Zombie was also okay with this when he made the Halloween reboot. Hey. Hey. Wow. Anyways. But Maggie goes through another door and we cut to teenage Freddy cutting himself with a straight razor as his father comes in and beats him with a belt. But this doesn't phase Freddy and he pulls the razor on his own father. And by father, I mean, it's Alice fucking Cooper playing the dad. And they asked him to do it. And he said he would only do it if he could just wear normal clothes because people always want his Alice Cooper persona in a movie. And he wanted to just look like a degenerate dad. Yeah. And then people saw the movie and they're like, who was that guy? (laughs) (laughs) And he said he might as well have done it because he was getting blamed for Freddy Krueger already for years. (laughs) But that was a neat little quick cameo without, you know, beating you over the head with it. Yeah, totally. But Maggie closed her eyes because she doesn't want to see Freddy kill the father. And she wakes up to the moment where he's being burned alive by the Elm Street parents. While he's being burned, the demons come in and talk to him and they join with his body, right? And... The effects still look pretty decent, actually, for old school CGI. It looks better than a lot of other movies with old school CGI. But that's because it was done by the same crew that did Terminator 2. And they were working on Terminator 2 at the same time. And at one point when sending scenes back to Rachel after they had done the special effects work, they had accidentally put 
Arnold Schwarzenegger on the motorcycle doing the highway scene <laughs> from Terminator 2. And she's like, James Cameron would have killed us all had he known that we had a leaked scene from Terminator 2 in our real set. But we watched it. Um, he would have, though. <laughs> and those guys, I remember looking really cool and in 3D. And there's the very end, I'm going to bring up a part that I, I remember as a kid, just like 3D blowing my mind, right? Okay. But we see Maggie memory hop one last time. And it's to the moment that little Maggie's leaving the, the basement at the house or Catherine, as we know her. And we can see Robert England beating the mom to fucking death. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he approaches his daughter and he says that mommy had to take her medicine for snooping into daddy's things. And little Maggie says that she will never tell, which is what her mom said. Probably dying words. Right. Yeah. We then cut to the boiler room where Freddie pops up behind Maggie and says, but you did tell, didn't you? Right. And that's why she got taken away. Cause she told on him, that's how he got caught. That's how he went to prison, you know, blah, blah, blah. The trial got botched somehow, which they don't go into here, but they went into that in a Freddy's nightmares though. Yeah. yeah. We'll get into that on a bonus episode. Da-da. Wait, what? <laughs> but Maggie grabs Freddie and starts to wrestle with them. And doc and Tracy wake her up and she pops out and Freddie's nowhere to be seen. And Maggie says that this isn't over yet because she still sees things like she saw them in her dream, which I guess means like she has 3D glasses on. Yeah, yeah. don't take and your glasses off yet. <laughs> exactly. But people did. <laughs> and they rush to the basement to the MacGuffin arsenal mentioned earlier. And they start pulling out lots of weapons. And I mean, lots of them. And they're just start randomly pointing knives and Negan baseball bats at the camera. And if you're watching this, not in 3d, it just looks fucking dumb as yeah. just shoving shit at the camera constantly. <laughs> and after kidding up, Maggie goes on the hunt for her father and finds him normal looking, crying on the ground, saying it's not his fault in this little cage area. Why didn't he look normal in the first one when he got pulled in the real world? That's a very good question. I guess he's trying to do this to manipulate his daughter. Which bothers me because he's about to have like dream powers in the real world, including shape shifting this we're seeing right now. Yep. But she knocks his glove off with, I don't remember the bat or something, which flies at the camera, which looked goofy as hell because not in 3D. But I remember that looking pretty cool. <laughs> and apparently still has his powers because now he looks like Freddy Krueger and he can run on walls and ceilings. Yeah. And Doc and Tracy arrive and have to watch and help from outside the cage because when he's on the ceiling, he locked and closed the gate. Right. And. Freddie lets her know that he did not need his glove to kill her bitch of a mother, and he doesn't need a glove to kill her. That's a very Freddie line, honestly. Yes. And they start to grapple, and Maggie ends up getting the glove, and Tracy then slides a lot of weapons to Maggie as we get scene after scene of her throwing bladed weapons, ninja stars, and shooting crossbow bolts directly at the camera over and over again <laughs> and these weapons all pin freddy to the wall and then she impales his hand to his chest i think with a crossbow bolt and she puts on his glove as he taunts her and he acts like a father honestly trying to teach you how to fish right like yeah put on the glove and do this and then she runs and stabs him to death with his own glove and tracy throws her the pipe bomb earlier that's now lit and she jams it in his chest and they run off happy father's day kids 
I do want to say there is one part in in that fight where they're scuffling on the floor and she's got his hand and she's like, oh, I remember when we used to hold hands when I was a kid. And she's like, and I didn't like it then either. And she breaks his fingers. <laughs> yeah, that's actually good. That's one of her lines that I like. And then he, he can pop his hand back like he can he can repair. I don't know. It's all weird. Yeah, it's it's a mess. <laughs> But Freddy explodes and we see his head flying through the air. And as he opens his mouth screaming, we see his head come out of his mouth and it keeps repeating. Looked fucking amazing in 3D and freaked me out as a kid. (laughs) And we see the demon sperm start flying around and making like cartoon character noises and they leave. I don't know where the fuck they went, but they fucked off. Yeah. And we cut to Maggie, Doc and Tracy and we see the glasses vanish from Maggie's face, symbolizing that it's over. Freddy's dead. Credits. And these credits might be the best part of the movie because it's the greatest (laughs) hits compilation of the entire franchise. Yes. And that's it. That's Freddy's dead. I think I went over every little tidbit of behind the scenes news I could, except for, oh, um, apparently Rachel got violently ill at the end of the movie, like a lot of people have said, and she couldn't film the actual final battle. And it was all done by some random guy that had to direct it. Oh, wow. I don't know if that's true or not. I'd never saw her say that, but I saw it on multiple places. So I thought it was worth at least mentioning. That'd be an interesting rumor to make, but yeah, but that's Freddy's dead. I mean, it was such a giant franchise and it was mainly full of winners. And I don't know. It's just like a really weird way to do the final movie with the Looney Tunes slash Twin Peaks vibe. And it was a really weak fucking way to kill him. I think. Yeah, the the actual killing of him was bad, and the 3D was just a crutch for weak writing. Um, The Looney Tunes angle, I'm totally fine with. I am totally okay with that. In some spots, like you said, they knocked it out of the park, but in other spots, it's almost like if you're going to go here, decide where to stop, but go there all the way to that stopping point like you said with the jumping around video game shit and punching the walls that's just bad but the like the wily coyote thing and like the house flying up in the air and all that kind of stuff where it just goes totally bonkers that's great i'm okay with all that there's just there's weak writing and even weaker acting through a lot of parts of the movie where i don't care about anybody i forget that i'm in a nightmare on elm street movie like it really feels like not not in the violent sense, but like a made for TV watered down on Elm street spinoff or something. And they did the 3d on purpose because a dream child bombed and Robert Shea was one of the few producers in the history of horror franchises to realize that the last movie bombed. We're not going to be able to keep this going. We need to kill the character off. I think that was a good decision that he made. And the 3d was a thing to get asses in the seats after the last one bombed. It's like, okay, you might not have liked the last one, but we're saying that we're ending it in this one. So that should get you there. And the icing on the cake is it's also going to be in 3D, which hasn't been a thing for a while. This will be really fucking cool. Come and see it. It was a good idea. It just wasn't done very well. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went crazy with the marketing. They did a mock funeral for Freddy. Oh, how could I forget to mention that? Yeah, they literally (laughs) had a funeral the day before the movie came out in theaters and it was a, a big procession in a cemetery and they had like all the cast and crew there and they had people like crying at the, at the funeral, at the, at the coffin, you know, and, yeah. and that was, it's really cool. Like there's a lot of cool shit done here. 
And honestly, as I talked about the movie, I was excited talking about more scenes than I was not excited. I felt like, and it sort of gave me that vibe I had on the last episode when I was like, yeah, I like Freddy's dead. It's just (laughs) some of the, the stuff that's off is so off that it tainted the, the good parts for me. Yeah. But it, it was cool that they had the balls to say, this is it. And it was really cool that after being there for so many movies that Rachel got to direct, even though. There, I mean, there's a lot of movie that looks bad. I mean, there's set dressing that's bad, there's <laughs> lighting that's bad, but but that's so cool that they that they let her do it. That's you don't get a lot of that. But this is what this whole franchise was all about: was first time directors or really really fresh directors. And it's like right. Rachel, we're gonna send them off. Who better than you? All right, fuck it. <laughs> and it felt like they were really gonna keep them dead there for a while, but. I don't think it's set right in anybody's stomach that that was the end and that was the way to stop the the franchise. And, and honestly, that was the end of the franchise. Like the franchise is over at that point. Anything we got afterwards is separate, right? Yeah. And even Wes Craven going back and watching the franchise thought it was all a jumbled mess, right? And he and Bob Shea were finally able to get together and work out their differences. I don't even know how much we even got into that in the series or in the Wes Craven episode, but they had a huge falling out because partially Wes didn't have any fucking rights to anything after the first one, right? So he wasn't getting any money. And I think he ended up getting back paid some residuals and stuff. And him and Bob Shea worked it out to let Wes Craven come in and make one more nightmare film in his own vein. And that's how we got 1994's A New Nightmare. You know, Part of me, if this wasn't in my box set, I would have said we don't need to do this in the franchise because it really isn't part of the franchise. But where the character got left after the previous movie, I think this is a better send off, even though I have a lot of problems with this movie as well. This feels like a better send off to to think back on. I was going to save this for the end, but I feel like this might fit in better here. But when we were on the can't recommend enough podcast, we were going over different franchises. And this of course came up and we were asked to name our favorites. And I said one and three, I believe, which is most people's most common answer. And I actually want to go back instead of saying one and three tied. Honestly, for me, I think it's one and this one tied together. And it has nothing to do with Freddy Krueger or Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. I like Wes Craven horror and this one and the first one are the only two that are Wes Craven horror movies, which makes sense because he wrote and directed both of them. But yeah, these two are the only straight up legitimate horror movies out of all of them to me. And this one is so many elements of this are scream with training wheels. You can (laughs) feel it in some of the setups, some of the shots. Well, I think he had taken a break from horror slightly at this point, right? So like this was him coming back into horror and getting his fucking run and start to jump into scream. Yep. So of course this one is written and directed by Wes Craven. I'm going to go through the cast and then we'll get into a little bit of the backstory. We have Heather Langenkamp, Wes Craven, Robert England. John Saxon, even Bob Shea. These are all people that we don't have to explain who the fuck they are, right? Nope. (laughs) So our newcomers, and not really newcomers, but at least newcomers to the series, we have Miko Hughes as Dylan, who, of course, was Gage in Pet Cemetery. That's the joke I make all the time. And uh, in a crap ton of TV. And I'm going to hang here for a second because I know in Dream Child, I make a joke about how 
this is the kid who can act and Miko is the one who can't act. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Miko can act? This is going to sound bad. And, uh, and I wish Wes was still around so I could say this and maybe he would hear it one day. Because that's apparently a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> I think he may have been directed poorly a couple of times, but we'll get there because he was asked to do a lot of shit. A lot. <laughs> Um, but we've also got, uh, David Newsom as Chase Porter, who's done a bunch of TV because Heather's real husband didn't want to be involved. And I don't think was even asked cause it's like a superstition thing with effects artists, which makes, uh, oh, I done forgot his first name, but Stan Winston's son that's in here kind of weird, but we'll get to that. I, I think he was asked. I think he just said he he didn't want to play himself because of the curse or whatever, which I didn't know was a special effects curse. I was thinking it was just a don't play yourself, which his wife was already doing. But yes, yeah, you know. and, and that may be what it is. But regardless, I think everything worked out all right. Right. I, I like him in the movie, but I think my favorite thing I saw about him on an interview was he was talking about how he's like, yeah, I'm the special effects guy. I'm the husband to Heather Langenkamp. And he's like all clean cut looking and he yeah. meets all the special effects guys. And they're all big burly with metal t-shirts on and beards. And he's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you think of like burger and like, like any of them guys, yeah. you know, like fucking Beekler, any of the guys, like they're all like big burly guys with beards and metal shirts on. Right. Yeah. This guy was outside of his element. We've also got Tracy Middendorf as Julie who's done a lot of TV, including screen oh, yeah. TV series. Yep. She's the mom, right? Yeah. And she was like on a billion episodes of uh, like general hospital or one life to live some <laughs> soap opera before she did this. And for special effects, we've got K and B proper. We got all three of them and the return of who's David that? Miller. Um, it's these three guys that did some shitty movie in the woods and somehow made a career. Out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, uh, as Jesse mentioned, Bob and Newline, they make all this money because <laughs> in the first movie, Wes didn't is like, uh, there's no point in a sequel. There's never the, the idea of a franchise was never brought up and he signed all the rights away. And so here we are coming up on one, the 10 year anniversary of the first film and three years after they killed Freddie and right. the, the fans haven't stopped. They still want more. They're like, look at the Friday, the 13th movies. Like there's no, there's always a way to bring them back. Come on now. <laughs> so Bob calls Wes and is like, if there's anyone that could pull out some way to do this, it would be you. And, uh, he gave him back pay on the movies, even on merchandising and, you know, got all that squared away. So then Wes would actually listen because business first. And he told Wes, he's like, take the story anywhere you want. Like it's, uh, I'm trusting you. And uh, he's like, all right. And so he sat down and watched all the other movies again. He's like, how the fuck is there a way to tie all this together? <laughs> Cause he had nothing. Right. <laughs> and uh, he got really hung up on, on one thing, taking it out with Freddie being the embodiment of evil. And he wanted to play with that idea. And there's a couple of things about the real world influencing this and the direction that Craven went and what he wrote into the script, because that was the whole idea he ended up going with is that Freddie is the genie in the bottle. And like when we did the Craven episode, this is the kind of thing he talked about that like the, the, the horror movie maker is like the shaman and like telling the ghost stories and like, that's where they live. And the idea that when the franchise ends, the evils released just like us going as fans, that's how we release the evil. And, you know, we don't go crazy. And he just took that idea and ran with it so far as to 
Heather Langenkamp was on this TV show called Just the Ten of Us and <laughs> ended up with a stalker because of it. And I mean a stalker that was so bad she moved out of the country. And Wes yep. is like, I'm really going for it with this. So uh, I want to have you play yourself. I, I, I want your husband in there as a character. And can we do the stalker thing? <laughs> right, right. And, and they did. I do want to point out that there were three different Elm Street girls on that TV show together yes. as sisters. And somehow we forgot to mention that. I know, right? I always, I never watched it back in the day. So every time it's brought up, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two quick little things, then we'll get into the movie. Miko's dad pulled Craven aside while they were filming, and he's like, hey, <laughs> do, do you need him to cry? Because we got a way to make him cry. And it's like, well, how do you make him cry? And it's like, come here. And he tells him that his mom's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so That's fucked up. fucked up. And in interviews, when Wes is telling the story, he laughs about it. I laugh about it because it sounds like the Drew Barrymore dog story from Scream. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, obviously, though. These parents saw dollar signs like Bob shaded sometimes because they already had him play Gage in Pet Cemetery, and they threw him in this, and they can't expect the kid to turn out normal after all this. And I'm a huge defender of horror movies. Do not make you a crazy person. But I also understand that when you're that young and you're in two freaky as fuck movies, that shit's going to live with you to some extent. Yes, it has to. The most striking thing, not only having this take place in the real world and Freddy coming into the real world, like the real, real world, not like what's <laughs> argued about in Nightmare 2, like the real, real world, is Freddy having this new look that's like, quote unquote, more evil, more darker, even though he looks like clean cut as far as his wardrobe yeah. goes in this one. And that even years later in interviews, Craven's like, I went back and forth before making the movie while making the movie. And to this day, I go back and forth on whether or not that was a good choice. Right. <laughs> as do I. Right, right. But as we find out throughout the movie, though, this isn't our traditional Freddy, though, right? Like, this is a new. Yeah, this is the form the evil chose. Yeah, exactly. So, so we open with uh, no credits. Uh, we'll get to that at the end. And uh, we're just taken right off and we're seeing a new type of Freddy glove being made. This one's full blown mechanical hand and it's a familiar looking workbench. And uh, but it's not the glove. Like I said, it's the hand. And we see the stripes of the sweater. So we see who's presumably Freddy sitting at the end of this bench, raise up this fucking hatchet and go chop off his hand evil dead style. And as soon as he does, the fourth wall breaks and we see production and crew and Wes in the background <laughs> going more blood, more blood, keep it coming. And we see we're on a movie set with Craven at the helm and uh, Chase is standing in for Freddy and Heather's watching the scene with Dylan and covering Dylan's eyes to kind of shield him from the gore. And it's, I missed out on this when it came out. It's this is there's so much I don't want to explain going back and forth between the nightmares in this movie. So it's the anybody listening who hasn't seen this, it's the real world. Just it is. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, right. But this is technically a dream. Technically. Yeah. We're going to get there. <laughs> so Chase, you know, they're, they got the shot, whatever. And, and, and Craven calls cut and Chase sits down with Dylan and uh, he's like, let's go see if we can scare mama. And uh, he gets this Chinese takeout box with a puppet that pops out. And in the background, we've got Chuck and Terry, which it's Chuck that's played by Stan Winston's son. I really should have noted this shit. Oh, I didn't know that. Or it's it, Chuck or Terry, whichever the longer, because one of them's nearly bald and the other one's got kind of long hair. The longer hair one is Stan Winston's son. Okay. 
Horrible note-taking on this one, Josh. Anyway, <laughs> they're commenting <laughs> behind about how the gloves all fucked up because the stage blood is shorting out the RC servos. And uh, the hand starts twitching, and it actually nicks Chase's fingers. The shirt's turned off? It's off. Funny, it's warm. Just like a real hand. <laughs> Must have picked up a signal from an 80s walkie-talkie. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then it springs to life, stabs Chuck in the throat. So Chuck is Stan Winston's son because <laughs> he gets okay, killed first. Okay. And then it scurries around on the bench and into the floor, and it eventually climbs up on Terry and gouges out his chest. And then charges Chase while Heather screams in horror. Then we quickly see Heather and Chase shook awake in their bed by an earthquake. Oh, it was a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they rush to Dylan's room and they hold him until the quake passes. So we've got the family right there and like, okay, this is all making sense. And uh, Dylan quickly points out the cuts on Chase's fingers. And uh, Heather seems a bit more shaken seeing this than Chase does. And Chase is like, oh, well, it must have happened when the mirror fell and all the commotion. And if you really look at the reaction on Heather's face and Dylan's face, it's like they were in the same dream. Oh, really? I, I didn't really think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the Craven commentary that he points out that's like, oh, like there's a lot of scenes in this movie that I thought were really happening that are nightmares. That okay. I'm like, oh, Make sure you point that out as we go, then. I think that'll be uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought it was Freddy coming into the real world, but it hasn't happened yet. Anyways, um, so at breakfast, Dylan's making a, a Freddy face in his oatmeal. Do you remember those oatmeals that got the little packet of, like, jelly? Yes, you got? yes. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, Wes Craven was the one that actually sculpted that for that scene. Always makes me think of sculpting the pizza into the Freddy face, right? <laughs> so, meanwhile, we've got news in the background showing damage from the quake. And this is art imitating life to the point of being scary. Yep. Because the Northridge earthquake happened towards the end of filming. So they were able to go out and get B-roll. And they inserted this later in post to make it work out in the beginning of the movie. And I don't remember where I saw and read this. So fact check me on this part. But uh, the crew joked so much with Wes, like, what have you done writing this shit into reality? That they went and got jackets made that said Nightmare 7.1 on them, like the, the earthquake. I saw that. I saw that as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't search that hard when I was, I Googled it and couldn't find it. It has to be on never sleep again, but at any rate, it was, that's where I saw it. But, uh, as Heather and chase are like getting dressed and everything and trying to go on about their day, you know, Heather's really shook and chase asks, you know, have the call started again. And she tells him it's not that, that it was a nightmare. And she kind of tells him how it went down that, you know, we were working on a set and they got hurt, blah, 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 blah. And chase is like shrugs the whole thing off. And, uh, He's leaving for a gig where he's got to like make bubbles or something for a card. I don't remember what it is, but it sounds like something really boring. <laughs> well, it's because he's lying. Yeah, this is true. If you uh, think I didn't realize that till just now, but if you think about it, he's lying because she doesn't know what he's actually working on. Yeah. So as he leaves, another quake hits, and this is when we see like these claw-shaped cracks running down the bedroom wall, which is really fucking yep. cool. And uh, during this quake, Heather runs downstairs and finds Dylan watching the original Nightmare on Elm Street. So Heather just straight up unplugs the TV. And as soon as she does, Dylan just starts screaming and he does until the phone rings and it's like it shakes him out of it. And uh, this must be the stalker that we heard Chase mention. Hello. One, two. Oh, 
low. Freddy's coming for you. So babysitter Julie shows up and Heather heads off for a TV interview she's got to do. And there's a little bit of back and forth between Heather and Dylan. Like, fuck, you got to go again. That's not what Dylan says, but it's like, come on, mom. (laughs) She's like, I'm sorry. I got to go do this. And I want to point out here when Julie walks in, they're talking and she just picks up a random cup off the counter and starts drinking out of it. Who does that? (laughs) (laughs) What if Nancy has a cup of coffee ready for the sitter every day when she gets there? You don't know how their fucking day goes, Josh. That is logical. I've never, I'm okay with this. All right. I like it when you fix things like that for me. (laughs) So Heather heads off for uh, what we end up seeing as a TV interview and she's being asked is like, so do you think Freddie's really dead? You know, what about another sequel? Like, would you let your kid, you've got a, you've got a kid. How old is he? Like, it takes a weird turn as far as yeah. asking about her personal life. It's like, w- would you let Freddie watch your kid? And she's like, you mean Robert? Like, yeah, well, let's, let's ask him. Like, it's this big surprise <laughs> that she doesn't know he's going to be there. And he comes decked out in the full blown Freddie gear. And there's all these kids wearing the, the masks without the hat, which makes them look like burn up cancer patients. And I'm not saying that in a yeah. funny way. I'm saying that in an off-putting way. Um, but this is the scene you talked about before where it shows just what Freddie had become where, you know, he was this slapsticky icon. He's not scary anymore. Like, at right. all. like, you know, like all these kids are so excited to see him and there's Heather in the shadows. And I think I even saw an interview with Wes saying that happened for real one time where him and, and Bob Shea were on a talk show and they were talking to him about how they were like corrupting the youth of America and blah, blah, blah. And then Freddie comes out and all the kids are throwing up signs. They're like, Freddie, Freddie. And they're like, what the fuck have we done? But that seems always funny to me because I remember, I, I don't know where we were in the franchise, but I have this really strong memory of being a small kid and being up later than I should have been. And my, my parents watching some sort of talk show and maybe it wasn't nighttime. Maybe it was daytime. It was fucking Oprah for all I know, but I just remember my parents watching a talk show and they were talking about nightmare on Elm street and Freddie. And honestly, I think it was Oprah. I feel like it's like all flooding back to me now, (laughs) but she's like, but you wouldn't even know if he was sitting next to you like you. And she points to a random woman and Robert England is sitting next to her with no makeup in the audience whole time. And he's got one of his hands under his arm and he yanks it out and it's got the glove on it. And he sticks it right out in front of her face, like makes a noise and scares the shit out of the woman. And I have a very strong memory of that. And honestly, I feel like it was Oprah at this point. Could be (laughs) fucking wrong. This is a childhood memory I'm trying to pull up, but I'm have to look it up later but that's what i think of when i see this scene because they used to do that kind of shit with robert england and surprise he's here freddie's here guys oh that's great but uh they cut to them leaving and it's you know the the same shit as it usually is there's heather standing by the doorway while robert can't get away from all the kids that want an autograph and she gets a call from sarah reicher at new line asking her to come by the office the car will bring her right over she's got to come talk to bob and she heads over and everything you're about to see is legit. They really shot this at the new line offices. This really is Bob Shea's office in this upcoming scene. They just wouldn't let him shoot the front of the building was the only thing they told Wes he couldn't do. Um, and right down to the staff, like the staff's in there, like there's some staff that was edited out because they decided they didn't want to be in it. But it's 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 supposedly fully legit. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, because New Line is pretty big at this point, right? Like, have they already been making like the Ninja Turtle movies and shit like that at this point? Should be right at the. This should be right after. Right after the uh, the Warner Brothers money started getting injected, I think. Okay, I have okay. to double check. We'll, <laughs> we'll cover that on the. 
the new line episode, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> but Bob tells her that, uh, you know, it, I know we killed him, but the fans want Freddie back. And Wes has been writing something. And she's like, well, then that means he's having nightmares again. And he's like, yeah. And, um, well, but we really want you on the project. And she's like, no, I got other things to do. And, you know, it's like, no, no, no. And he's like, it's like, it's like looking at a politician. It's like, no, no, you're trending right up there with, 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 right, uh, right. with Freddie. We promise. And it uh, sounds like uh, Homelander and Stormfront having a conversation <laughs> right there. And um, after she turns down the offer, Bob tries to beg her and he spills the beans that Chase has been working on a new glove. And Heather's like, um, how long has all this been going on? And, you know, have you been having any weird phone calls or anything? And then right then the phone starts ringing and Bob just stands there. And she's like, why aren't you answering the phone, Bob? And she, he's like, because we've got people here we pay to do that. <laughs> I know. That's one of his best scenes out of any of these movies. So, yes. I mean, it's, it's really hard to beat the bartender scene from two, but. Well, what's funny is Craven, this was one of the first things they shot because they wanted to get it out of the way because Craven knew how scared Bob was to do it. And uh, in the commentary, Craven's like, you know, he's so nervous to do the shot, but he's supposed to be nervous because of what he's asking Heather to do. So it all worked. And it's and that he said the same thing. He's like, this is the best acting he's ever done. I like Bob in the scene. He's like nice guy. He's trying to get the tea, and he looks freaked out by the phone. You think because yeah. it rang right as she said it, but he's actually freaked out because he's paying somebody and they're not fucking answering the phone. <laughs> That's Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so after the meeting, Heather heads home and she walks in and immediately finds Dylan in a full blown fit with Julie unable to console him. And Heather grabs him and kind of shakes him out of it. And he starts going, never sleep again. And this is the kind of stuff that I don't like. I don't like the parts in the movie where they have him talk in the quote unquote Freddy voice. If he was just saying the lines, it would work so much better. That's that's my, one of my biggest Or problems. just doing like a whisper or something, right? Yep, yep. Something creepy. Don't try to sound like Freddy when you're a little kid. It doesn't work. It didn't work when Tr Jacob kind of did it, you know. You know, towards the end of uh, uh, Dream Child, when he's like, "Hey, Kruger, she's no fun anymore." Like, it, he's better because he's a little bit older, I want to say, or at least the deeper voice. Anyways, it doesn't work. It it it, it takes me out of it. But uh, she goes to hug him, and then he starts crying. And what you don't know is that he's actually still asleep when he's saying that, and he's back awake when she grabs him over her shoulder. That's going to become clearer later on. I assume anytime he does the Freddy voice, he's asleep. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much any time you see him in the movie, he's asleep. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but uh, she's like, what happened? And Julie's like, well, he was taking a nap and he just started screaming. And uh, they then discover that his stuffed T-Rex, Rex, is slashed open. And Julie takes it and her and Dylan go to stitch him up and make him good as new. And there were, uh, I want to say, two props of Rex after that, that Craven yep. kept one and Miko kept the other one. Yeah, Miko kept the clawed one. Okay. And uh, so Heather calls Chase and like, yo, your kid's freaking the fuck out. Come home. And uh, he's like, all right, all right, whatever. I mean, it's a much longer conversation than that. Yeah, but that's yeah. the gist of it. I think she busts him out right there. Like, I know you're working on the fucking Freddy glove. Right? Yeah. Like, I think that all happens in there, right? Yes. And you can see it in the shot in the trailer. And he goes and gets in his truck and he tells the crews, like, I got a sick kid. I got to go. And he drives off and we pan back over and there is no glove. And what's really funny is, you know how that looks like a studio backlot with all the trailers? That's yeah. the, that is the studio backlot with all the trailers for this movie. I assumed it was yeah. <laughs> like, dude, we just, we film it right out there. We got this. We'll be done today. And, um, so he starts driving back home. 
it's a long drive because he says it's going to be like three hours. So back home, we see Heather putting Dylan to bed and they have a quick read of Hansel and Gretel. And you'll notice little things like in the drawing that uh, the witch has Freddy striped fucking leggings and clawed hands. And she's like, man, this is, this is really dark, Dylan. Can we just do this some other time? And she closes the book and Dylan's like, like auditioning, like going for the hilt, finishing the story. But after Dylan's monologue, he uh, shows Heather that he keeps Rex at the foot of his bed and it protects him from the mean old man with the claws. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. We're starting to put two and two together here because she actually goes under the covers with him and, and she's like, what? And they lift up the covers and look at the toys on the floor and stuff. And the line here from him where he's like, it's different when you're gone. Like that's, that's, oh yeah. man, that's so perfect kid shit. And anyways, we cut back to, um, to chase while he's driving. And he starts to doze off and we see Freddy's claws come up out of the seat and kind of poke him in the junk <laughs> and then sink back in <laughs> and Chase scratches his balls, which according to Chase, isn't him. The, <laughs> I think it's in Never Sleep Again. He's like, that's not me. You had a stand in do that. This is how I would scratch my balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of neat, though, because the claws are coming up. The the seats like water. You can see yeah. the ripples. Yeah. yeah, yes. yeah I like the effect. I always thought it was bad CGI until I heard Wes talking like that. It's like, we want it to feel like it's coming out of one world and into another, not just really there. Like, Oh, this all makes sense now. <laughs> I think I subconsciously took it that way, but that's pretty, pretty neat now that you say it that way. <laughs> but of course the claw then bursts out of the seat and starts slashing the bejesus out of Chase's chest. And he goes running the truck off the road and crashes. And we quick cut to Heather waking up on the couch knowing something must be wrong because she was in the dream too and Dylan's standing there awake because he had a bad dream like it's I think everybody knows what's going on <laughs> you know what I mean in the dreams we're not seeing but uh, of course the police arrive and tell Heather that there's been an accident and that Chase is dead and she's like you know that that's not good enough for me I want to see the body can you imagine having that job where you have to go to people's houses and let them know when their spouses had ball scratching accidents? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> Ma'am, he had one of those Russian dash cams. He was going to town on himself and veered off the road. <laughs> I almost spit voodoo ranger all over my computer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the derail. Continue, please. But at the morgue, <laughs> the guy is like just pulls back to where she can see the face and, and she's like more and starts seeing the cuts down his chest and she's like more and it's like that that's enough and she just rips the whole sheet off it reveals that the slashes go all the way down to his crotch and she turns around and pukes horrible puke tick um <laughs> i don't know why i'm so mad about those um i, I do want to point out that the more guy is kenny the cameraman from scream oh <gasps> Is that why he looks familiar? Holy shit, Josh. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. you, you got me, man. I had no fucking clue on that one. Damn. <laughs> he put on some weight by the time they got to scream. <laughs> yeah, 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 he had to have. So do you think the claw marks went all the way down to his crotch? Or do you think they went up from his crotch? <laughs> <laughs> I think they went chest to buttle. Ooh, so they went around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's something um, Wes would do. He's a little fucked in the head back in the day. 
Now, speaking of Wes being fucked in the head, what he had them give her, I'm going to stay on this puke shot. In the commentary, he says it is a mixture of chowder and bean soup, something that he thought would be pleasant in the mouth. <laughs> I hate chowder. <laughs> and then once they went to do it, it's like, oh, my God, this was such a bad idea. Anyways, <laughs> so with Chase dead, they fly to Ohio for his funeral because it's the same cemetery from Nightmare on Elm Street 1. So it's Ohio, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. Are there any Ohioan palm trees in the background? Oh, there are. Because we're, of course, in Southern California again. Yes. But at the funeral, we get like cameo time because we got all kinds of new line staff in the background. And, you know, we've got John Saxon's there, of course, but we've even got like Tuesday night and Nick Corey, Jesu Garcia, whatever you want to call him. He's there. Yep. Craven wanted Johnny Depp in the scene. And Craven admits in the commentary that he was too scared to even ask him because at this point he had been blown up by being Tim Burton's go-to guy already. And uh, sometime later, they were actually at a New Line event and Craven asked him about it. And Depp was like, dude, you should have just asked. I would have been more than happy to have been there. Yeah, he's always accredited Wes Craven and Nightmare on Elm Street for the start of his career. And if he did the fucking this is your brain on drugs scene in the last movie for Rachel, of course he'd come if Wes called. Yeah, because he knows Wes wouldn't have done that to him. (laughs) He's like, can't be any worse than what Heather's in the movie, too. He would have fucking came. Yeah. But as they're there, another quake strikes and Heather falls down right by the coffin and the coffin falls and pops open and she sees Dylan. This is our first real reveal of seeing the new Freddy, quote unquote, new Freddy, grabbing Dylan and pulling him down into the bottom of the coffin into the underground. And she dives in after him and it's like the inside, like what, like not silk, but whatever the inside of a coffin, but it's like a tunnel (laughs) and uh, it looks cool. Yeah. (laughs) And she manages to pull Dylan away from, uh, from Freddie, and then as she's going to try to turn around and climb back out, fucking Chase's body kind of reanimates, and his eyes open, and there's blood running out of his eyes, and he like grabs her by the face all gently, and he's like, "Stay with me, Heather." Very creepy scene. It's very creepy, but at the same time, it kind of reminds me of, "Hello, baby." Oh, none of this is real. I faked my death so I could just, just trick Freddie. Like it, it feels a little bit like a callback to Nightmare Four intentionally or not or maybe as a fan that's just how i see it because it you know it's not exactly the same but there's a little bit of of nuance of of shit happening there but of course this is all interrupted by john saxon waking heather up because she just took a tumble during the quake and fell and knocked her head and she was asleep and uh the coffin didn't fall it's just shaking a little bit and the preacher's like i hope you all have a safe journey home (laughs) and everybody disperses (laughs) so that night heather wakes up to find dylan watching nightmare on elm street again and in the very first shot you can see the tv is still unplugged so when you see him watching this for the rest of the movie he's asleep (laughs) oh fuck i never noticed that yeah some of it's obvious some of it's not it's gonna be at one point, there's an extra shot added at the end of the scene with a little stinger to show the cord dangling. It's like you can see it yeah. in other shots if you pay attention. But uh, anyways, so he sleepwalks towards the kitchen and Heather kind of grabs him and he screams because he's been woke up. But the TV's on when Heather comes in. That's the part that people don't pick up on. It's obvious Dylan's sleepwalking, but the TV's on too. Heather's in a dream. That's the part people don't. Oh, don't OK. Yeah. So Heather tells him to go to bed. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Where did you hear that? And she, of course, asks, where did you hear that? And he's like, well, I hear kids saying it from under my covers. They're down there with the mean man who's trying to get up into our world. Like, 
what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this kid's crazy. And it's neat because the way Heather plays it, like it's almost like her character knows to not give it any power to just kind of shrug it off. You know what I mean? Like if, if she, well, it's cause fr- she thinks it's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, legit Heather thinks it's bullshit until that coffee pot comes out, <laughs> <laughs> but come on, man. She's done seeing the slashes down her dead husband, like, or she's going insane, which we're going to go. We're fixing to get into that <laughs> as far as mental illness goes. So of course he ends up in mama's bed and they're laying there and he asks, uh, where's daddy? And Heather's like, well, he's in heaven. And Dylan asks, do you, do you have to die to see God? <laughs> and uh, she's like, well, no, I think you have to pray and reach out. Foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day we see Heather uh, talking with John at a playground while uh, Dylan plays in the background. She's telling John about the nightmares and how she had a family member that ended up dying in an institution. And that's not. That that's not her real family story being put in here because <laughs> it started off with Wes wanted to make it her mom. And she's like, no, you're not going to do that. <laughs> and it's like, well, can we just say a family member? And she's like, okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the background, while they're having this conversation about whether or not she's crazy, he's crazy, whatever. Dylan's climbing this rocket ship that was very poorly designed because a small child can get all the way up to the top and on top of said rocket ship. <laughs> And my child would have figured that out. You know that. (laughs) I have the kind of kid that would have done this. Yeah, yeah. But uh, all this happens really fast. And it's Dylan standing up on top of it, reaching up towards the sky, just as like other parents start screaming and pulling their children away because they're seeing this. And Heather and John look up and they're like, oh, my God, the fuck. What's really cool is they really did put Miko up there. They had him in a rig that went up his pants and around his waist. So there was literally no way for him to fall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reverse shot and and the shot, what's well, not really a reverse shot, but he spun around at that point of the jump is a stunt kid. Okay. And him being caught is a as another stunt. They used uh, circus actors, but Heather does get there to catch him just in time. God, when you take me, holy Such shit! Such a good line for that kid. <laughs> Knowing Craven's history, there's all kinds of stuff you could dive into right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heather's coming home, or no? We just see her at home. She walks out to the mailbox, and she gets this note, and we don't really know what it is. It just looks like something burnt into a page of something but she goes inside she's got a whole fucking drawer full of them and she just adds it to the collection and closes it and she calls robert england this is not robert england's house um craven said that uh in the commentary that robert england is actually very modest and lives in a modest beach house and he thought it would be really fun to put him in a real big uppity pretentious mansion (laughs) so that's what he did (laughs) (laughs) you know what bothers me about these this scene here is I don't think Robert's acting is very good in the scene. And he is more than Freddie. He's a stage actor. Like, like Robert's a good actor outside of being Freddie, even though he's only known as Freddie. And I don't know. It's just kind of off to me. Like just how it's almost like the, the random soap opera extra that got thrown in for three weeks. You know what I mean? Like the overacting. That's what I was going to say. It's mel- He's melodramatic and it's un- uncalled yeah. for. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yep, I agree. Maybe he was just distracted by the fake painting. <laughs> but, Even the uh, painting part, like when he gets, he's like, oh, something darker. I know. Like I could have done this scene and I can't act. 
<laughs> so Robert's painting. We can't tell what he's painting while he's on the phone with Heather. And she's telling him about the nightmares. England ends up bringing up that at the funeral, he asked Wes how far in the script he had made it. And that Wes said he's made it as far as Dylan trying to reach God. Whatever that means. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yep. What the fuck's going on? That's when you'd be out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she asked if they could talk in person and, and Robert Ingham's like, uh, uh, some other time I, I have to finish something. So after the phone call, we actually see the shot, which I didn't catch this until writing my notes of the, the quote unquote new Freddy and the three souls he's already collected. Holy shit. I've never caught three souls. <laughs> There's three little skulls in the corner of the painting, which I never picked up on before. And we have three kills so far. We have Chase, Chuck and Terry. Never noticed it until getting ready for this review. <laughs> we don't know about Chuck and Terry yet, but I gotcha. Like when you put it all together. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it's Freddy, but it's, it's different. Like, it, but it's still pulling just enough. But like you said, it's like, like when, when you talk about, uh, Freddy wearing the Jesse suit, this is like the evil wearing the Freddy suit. And it only knows right. what Freddy knows type thing. And this gives even more credence to your, they're all sharing a dream theory or it might not even be a theory because you heard it on the commentary. Right. But like Robert has seen this version of Freddie then. Exactly. Cause he knew how to paint it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's like whatever Wes is writing is coming into reality in their dreams. Like Freddie would this movie's so much smarter than people give it credit for. <laughs> I already thought it was smart. It's just even smarter. <laughs> I'm going to miss Wes Craven. Cause he really could do some dark, deep horror. Yeah, but uh, what continues to happen in this movie? That night, Dylan sleepwalks. <laughs> and uh, while Dylan's sleepwalking, we see Heather in bed and we see Freddie's glove tear through the sheets next to her and kind of slide from the foot of the bed up to the pillow next to her, which is a really fun shot. And then the claws come out. Yeah. Slowly raising up over r totally reminiscent of the bathroom scene or bathtub scene. Yeah. I like that the evil relive scenes, but I would have preferred it to have been the um the through the wall and the crucifix falling, I think would have yeah. been more appropriate here. Yes, I agree. But just as the gloves getting ready to bear down on her, there's a crash downstairs that wakes Heather up. She immediately notices that the bed sheets are all sliced up. So she's got to quit dreaming like that or cut her nails. Um <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> And she goes downstairs to see what the crash was and she finds Dylan and he's, you know, singing the Freddie rhyme. He comes up on her. He's got his hand behind his back and he's still singing and he whips out his hand and he's got steak knives taped to his fingers and starts attacking her. And then she actually wakes up for real this time because there's another earthquake. This time downstairs, it's daytime now. Um, she can hear Dylan over and over again going, never sleep again, never <laughs> yeah. sleep again. And see, that's okay. Like if he had done that in the Freddy voice, I'd be bitching about it. But I like. Right, right. Like just creepy kid. Give me creepy kid. <laughs> Once Heather goes downstairs, you know, she finds Dylan and he's still saying this and he's encircling all the notes from the drawer on the floor and they spell out answer the phone. And the phone rings <laughs> and we hear Freddie on the other end say, I touched him. And the phone does the Freddie mouth tongue thing from the first one, which was actually a reshoot after principal photography. This whole thing was really yes. And Dylan starts foaming at the mouth and the phone starts to foam. Did I say that? And the phone starts to foam. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one to say. And it's foaming out of the mouth of the phone. Yeah. I don't even know if I said it right. What the fuck? We're in a Mel Brooks movie. 
but Dylan immediately goes into another fit. And this time Heather's had enough. Now he's foaming at the mouth. Let's go seek professional help. <laughs> and she goes to the hospital and we're introduced to Dr. Hefner and Dr. Hefner <laughs> immediately blames scary movies. Cause she's like, Oh, you're her. Do you, has he watched your movies? And you know, cause these movies do terrible things to kids, blah, blah, blah. blah. This is my school guidance counselor all over again. <laughs> The name Dr. Hefner was a stab at the then head of the MPAA, Hefner, who Wes <laughs> had many fucking headbutting matches with. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to do this, which once again is one of those fun jabs from him like this and the absolutely no thanks to whatever school on the credits. Right. And another reason why I'm going to miss Wes Craven. Yes. However, he should have gone the fuck you route of Sam Raimi and just illegally stole a stamp and stamped the film. <laughs> so Dylan gets kept overnight for uh, observation and test. And we hear in passing, um, I think it's Hefner talking to uh, Lynn Shea, nurse Shea. Um, <laughs> she's like, I, I think he has uh, childhood schizophrenia. The important thing here is that Dylan wants Rex because at this point, Dylan's not talking and Heather's mm -hmm. like, just tell me what you want. Tell me what you need. And he puts his hand on the bed and she's like, oh, my God, you want Rex. Rex is at home. And then there's the worst delivered line by Miko in the movie home. It. I'm sorry. It's bad. Maybe it's different if you're a parent, but to me, it's bad. Heather, as a mom, tries to do the right thing, which is really the wrong thing, because she's like, home's right there, right on the other side of the freeway. <laughs> yes. but, but you've got to draw you a picture really quick <laughs> with a frog on one fucking side and cars on the other. Exactly. But uh, we're just going to keep saying Dr. Shea or Nurse Shea. <laughs> So Nurse Shea comes in. She got a fucking promotion pretty quick, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my bad. She's still a nurse. She gives Dylan some sleeping pills, and he appears to take them. And uh, Heather leaves to go see Wes. As a mother, why the fuck would she leave him there? <laughs> but as, uh, as Heather goes to back out, I love this shot because she's backing out, and there's this car you can see in the distance that pulls by behind her, and she almost hits it but stops just in time. Heather really uh -huh. did that. And oh. actually, yeah. And they did three takes of it. And she managed to not hit the other car every time. And, uh, oh, okay. Okay. I thought you meant like she accidentally almost hit an innocent person. You mean like she did oh, her own driving no, stunt? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Her own driving stunt. And what's funny is, you know, after she does it, she like goes to pull the seatbelt, but it's locked. Like, you know, sometimes you go to get it and it's just fucking locked. And she's like, throws it aside and drives in the commentary. Another reason I love Craven. Cause he's like, she did it three times and, and did it perfectly and managed to not hit the other car, but she could never get that seatbelt to work. Like, you know, that last <laughs> part is Craven just making a joke, but at any rate, I just thought it was neat that she did her own driving stunt there. So at Wes's, which is not his house either. Oh, I wondered that. Yeah. They did bring in like all the decor, like a lot of the props and shit like that and awards and stuff. Those are all really his. He just let the prop master okay. go, go get a bunch of shit, but not his house. He's like, I want to have a big overblown. It's gone to my head mansion. <laughs> That's what they did in the movie. And they start to discuss, you know, his writing process and what, what he's working on and, and what's really going on. And Wes says, you know, I don't know. I, I dream a scene and then I write it down, which prior to researching, I didn't know this was really how he did shit sometimes. And uh, he says that so far it's about a very old entity that lives for the murder of innocence, but it can be captured through storytelling, like keeping a genie in the bottle. 
But when the story dies, the evil is set free. And with the movie's over, the genie is out of the bottle. So that kind of puts the whole idea of the movie together. And the movie is about the idea of the movie. Like, this is the point where all that goes fourth wall. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's this ancient evil presence that's always been around. It gets defeated sometimes, but it always comes back. And it's harnessed by a writer who, in our world's case, is Wes Craven currently, right? Yes. Of course, Heather starts asking, you know, it's like, well, what would you do to defeat it? And Wes is like, well, well, there's the other character. And and Heather, Nancy, is the gatekeeper, the only one who ever defeated Freddy and who's the one that Freddy would have to make it past to get into our world. But Heather says that, you know, it was Nancy that did all this, not her. And Wes says, well, when the time comes, she's going to have to make a choice. What kind of choice? Whether or not you're willing to play Nancy one last time. I know that she's supposed to be the gatekeeper right here, but sometimes I feel like it's Dylan because the evil tries to kill Dylan so many fucking times, like on the rocket ship thing at the playground, right? Yeah. Like trying to get the gatekeeper out of the way. But then technically, isn't Rex the gatekeeper? I think Rex is the gatekeeper. And I think Dylan's young enough to not know or understand. So Freddie can easily scare him. Okay. Heather can write it off because she's worked on scary movies. But if Dylan is terrified of Freddy. It makes Heather inherently scared of Freddy in a way that he couldn't do if he went straight after her. That's my thinking. It's more of a mother's fear than fear of the creature. I I think this clears it up. Dylan is the bait because in the interstate scene we're about to see, Freddy even picks Dylan up when a truck is coming to stop him from being hit. He wants him to make it home and suck Nancy, sorry, suck Heather into the dream world. But she's got to believe before she can come in. Okay, I'll bite. <laughs> but after this, we see, you know, by this point in the conversation, they're in Wes's office and we, we go over to the computer screen and you can see what was just typed up is the exact dialogue we just heard. And then it says fade to black and it fades to black. <laughs> Which So I think the first time I saw this movie, I wasn't smart enough or sober enough to understand everything that was going on. And I didn't give it a fair shake. So that night, instead of being at the hospital. <laughs> Heather goes home <laughs> and reads books on childhood schizophrenia. And uh, she quickly reads that childhood schizophrenia and sleep deprivation share many symptoms. Da, da, da. And we get a quick montage, which I don't like. I think it's too much spoon feeding. But um, it's Heather connecting the dots between Dylan's behavior, the nightmares, the script. And just as she's like, she's got the two balls of wax. He's crazy. I'm probably crazy. Or we're all fucked. (laughs) And just then the TV (laughs) kicks on. And it's a news reporter talking about two prominent special effects artists have been found slashed to death. And it's Chuck and Terry. And then the TV, she turns the TV off. Then the TV turns back on to finish the news story. And then the TV flames out as another quake hits. And after this quake, Heather makes her way over to the closet door that kind of shook open during all this. And Freddy pops out. Miss me. So the two scuffle. Freddy calls her Nancy, of course. And uh, he does manage to slash her arm as they're wrestling around on the bed. But then there's another quake. And now Nancy's awake for real. (laughs) So this is and this is the shot I was talking about where as she's going through the books and stuff, she has the coffee pot next to her and she's been drinking coffee while Dylan sleeps and shit. So and I think at this point, this is the real punching 
through into the real world. That whole popping out and saying, miss me, like the news report was real. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is that. Yeah. yeah. So she rushes to the hospital and as soon as she gets there, she finds Julie demanding to see Dylan. And I guess this is a good time to bring up uh, what the original idea was, is that Freddie was going to possess Julie and Julie was quote unquote, the stalker. I didn't know that it was supposed to be Freddie possessing Julie, but I did know that originally Julie was going to be the stalker, which is really interesting if you think about it, because when she gets the first stalker call, uh, Heather, she hangs up the phone and immediately afterwards, Julie comes in kind of like how Billy did in in Scream where he, you know, was part of the attack and then came in the house to throw you off the trail. But if you think about it, she would have had to have used a voice changer to be the person on the phone call, which is pre-planning for Scream, I feel like. Yes, totally. Because they said in the commentary, because there's a few weird shots with Julie where he's he just said, look guilty. <laughs> right. And then the idea got dumped later on in filming and it just sent his mind in that direction. Like, what if we did a, thing with a <laughs> phone call and two characters? And then, you know, he just started writing. He's like, I got, I, I got an idea. I got an idea. And then he called Williamson. And he's like, Williamson, flush this out. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that's how it went down. That's, that's how it'll always be for me. But, uh, so now that we're at the hospital, Dr. Hefner takes Heather aside and continues to blame the movies. And uh, she's she's dressing the wounds on Heather's arm. And uh, she's like, I need to get Rex because Rex keeps Freddy from coming out from under his bed. <laughs> and Dr. Hefner's like, Freddy Krueger, yep. the man from your films. <laughs> so he has seen him. <laughs> she's like, well, shit. <laughs> so she does get to go see Dylan. And they've got him in an oxygen tent for some reason. And I've never understood that. But whatever. The doctor semi explains that he basically went to like a, a a panic attack. I'm assuming he wasn't breathing properly. So they had to put him in an oxygen tent to to give him the proper amount of oxygen for his brain. Is that what I need when I'm having a panic attack? I just need to huff oxygen? Possibly. Huh. I don't have a medical license. I want to throw this out. <laughs> um, to any listeners, uh, this is not medical advice. We are not medical es- experts. Do not take any of this as fact. I don't know if I'm an expert on anything. <laughs> but uh heather immediately goes to sleep in the room and goes right into a dream of where dylan just springs back awake pulls the heart rate monitor off of his finger pulls the oxygen tent open and just exorcists black slime all over heather yep and he goes into another fit and the staff comes rushing in and then dr hefter comes in and she's like Screw anesthetic. We don't have time for it. I'm going to cut the evil out of him and has the fucking Freddy yes. go on. And I forget the lady's name that plays that character. I should have wrote it down. She is awesome in that shot. And yeah. I think it's in yeah. Never Sleep Again. She's like, I don't know how it is for other people, but it's like you put on that glove and something else comes out of you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes. She said she wasn't acting for any of her other scenes in the movie. She was just talking them out like it said on the script in her normal voice. And then she puts that glove on and she just felt fucking evil with it on. <laughs> <laughs> so Heather lunges at Dylan and wakes up and realizes she's the only one in the room. And she thinks Dylan's missing and she gets told that, no, 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 we had to move him to another room. You were conked out. We didn't, didn't want to wake you up and he's okay. He's got Julie as babysitter with him. And, uh, Heather has the gray poof now. I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> so Heather makes her way down the hall and into the restricted area, pass or no pass. Cause they do the whole bit there. It's like, <laughs> you can't be in here without a pass. And Heather says, screw your pass. Now I think this is the first time you see Jessica Craven, but she's going to have her big scene coming up here in a second. Oh, and, uh, she makes it down to the room and she's like, I gotta get Rex. Like we're all fucked without Rex. Cause she's like, 
I guess she's starting to believe at this point. She's like, Julie's going to stay here with you and I'm going to go get Rex and whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And Heather immediately gets pulled aside by Dr. Hefner and, uh, these two nurses go in and they do a bait and switch on Dylan and Julie as far as shooting him up with a fucking sedative and the quote unquote needle nurse that actually gets him. That's Jessica Craven. Okay. And, uh, so now, now he's, he's uppercase fucked because he's been shot and, uh, well not with a gun or anything, but he's, he's been given a shot (laughs) (laughs) and Julie decks the other nurse who was the, the bait and, uh, (laughs) needle nurse, (laughs) comes around and she's still got the needle in her hand and Julie has grabbed the needle from the other nurse. And she's like, I know what's in that one. I have no idea what's in this one. (laughs) And she goes, "Eh," and and she runs out of the room. I love that part. Yes. That's smart on Julie's part. So she locks the door and she's trying to keep Dylan awake. And uh, Dylan immediately dozes off and he sees Freddie attack Julie and he does the entire fucking pulling her up the wall onto the ceiling. I'm going to kill you, Tina style. Only it's a lot more restrained. Honestly, I feel like it's it's better than the Tina kill. Like, I feel like there's more to it. <sighs> there's parts of it that I like better, but as a whole, I don't like it. Like the, there's if you really pay attention, you can see the rig shaking through the entire thing. OK, that you don't see in the first one. And. I don't like the neck break death on the ceiling part that just like, Oh, I'm dead now. I don't, I don't like that. I love Freddie standing upside down with his head turned all the way around looking at Dylan. Like that's, that's a very powerful shot. But as far as the death, her floating in the air, I love that part too. But the, the actual death uh, of Julie and the, and the fall. I I could see that. I didn't notice the, the gimbal room shaking, but, I really liked her acting as she got dragged around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like they they drug it out longer. It wasn't as quick, so it made it even freakier. Yeah. And I like the cuts of actual Freddy fucking doing it. Looked yes. badass. Yes. All that's good. And then I like that it's, it's a recreation of the the story that Wes wrote since he's the storyteller harnessing the uh the genie in the bottles you put it, right? Yep. So uh the the staff does manage to get the door open and see some of this. Of course, they don't see Freddie. They just see Chick getting drug up the wall and across the ceiling right. and bloody. And they all have a look on their face like, we need Jesus. <laughs> 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 and uh, Heather comes running up just after everything's over and sees Julie and uh, <laughs> the nurse standing next to her starts to talk and she elbows her in the stomach and the nurse yeah. goes walking out of frame. None of that's in the script. That was all okay. Heather in the moment and actually elbowed the shit out of that lady and was Jesus. apologizing profusely afterwards. And Wes is like, <laughs> it's Wes. So, you, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm keeping that. That's great. We're really on the edge of the third act and the third act's not long. I promise, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of a major franchise. Quite frankly, I don't give a fuck. It could be as long as it needs to be. <laughs> so, um. In the commotion, it's realized that Dylan is missing. And uh, <laughs> I don't remember if it's ner- uh, Dr. Hefner or one of the nurses like, he's not going anywhere. He's heavily sedated. And Heather's like, he doesn't have to be awake. He sleepwalks. <laughs> right. <laughs> she says something or somebody says something that she immediately thinks of home. And she's like, oh, shit. I told him home was across the interstate. <laughs> right. <laughs> so she goes driving and she pulls up by the highway and sees him crawling up there. And she calls John 
randomly for help. But she's the he's the only one she's confided in, so I'm okay with it. You actually don't have to be okay with it. I'm going to make it make more sense for you here in a moment. Oh, okay. So as Dylan gets up to the interstate, Mufasa appears in the clouds, and he helps guide the way. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but it's actually Freddy. There's a lot of work in this shot for how brief it is, because you've got rear projection, front projection, compositing. I didn't know until the commentary, a stunt woman with the 18-wheeler trailer going over her in one of the shots. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, every trick in the book was used on this, but this is when we get the Freddy Claw actually pick or the Mufasa <laughs> Freddy Claw from out of the clouds picked Dylan up to avoid getting hit by a cement truck. And then there's all these Freddies that come up to the construction barrier, which is, I don't get it. It's, it, I don't like it, but whatever. I apparently blanked that scene out of memory. Oh yeah. There's like 50 of them that all come up at once. And they're like putting Freddy masks on every person they could find. I don't get it. It, it, it would have worked without it. But anyways, Dylan makes it across, but Heather eventually gets hit by a car. <laughs> Yeah, but she's yeah. okay. And now she's going to limp the rest of the movie. Wait a minute. She's been limping for a lot of the movie. If you pay attention the whole time she's in the hospital, she's fucking limping. I don't know if it's because this shit was shot out of order and Heather fucked up. And that means that Craven fucked up and whoever was paying attention to continuity fucked up. But Heather is limping way earlier in the movie before she gets hit by the car. I just have to point that out because I haven't been able to come up with anything to point to why her leg is injured. I didn't catch that, but I do know that she said the uh, the scene with the truck going over where she was in front of the projector screen, she yeah. said she had to shoot for over 100 times and couldn't even walk the next day. So she could have just been naturally sore from that. <laughs> Okay, so it's it's the Sam Raimi approach. <laughs> now, now you're injured. <laughs> oh, but uh, she makes it home, and once inside, she finds John Saxon there. But he's acting like an awful lot like Daddy. He even says lines that Daddy says from the original yeah, film. Yeah. And uh, it's like, how'd you get in here? He's like, the front door was open. And they really start to play out like Daddy and Nancy. And like you said, we, we start to get hints of dialogue and then full blown into dialogue from the original movie. And all of a sudden, John's got the badge and Nancy sees and Heather sees this. <laughs> but Heather <laughs> is Nancy at this point, though. You were right. And she's got the gray poof on that part. Yes. But she doesn't. The wardrobe for her doesn't change until she says Daddy. OK. Yeah, yeah, but we're getting to that. And it's almost like this thing punching into the world that Heather refuses to accept. And like John's character is like full on into it. And he's got the, the cop car and everything. And uh, she finishes what she's saying to him. And she kind of like closes her eyes and takes a breath like, Daddy. And as soon as she does, she's in the fucking nightgown from the first movie. I do want to point out it's a good thing Wes kept the wardrobe from the original movie because her nightgown, John's jacket, these are all legit. This is some of the shit Wes kept. Yeah, they did not remake them. And this is part of why I was saying earlier that her calling John wasn't weird because I think the, the bleeding of realities had already started. So she was already calling daddy. Yeah, okay. I can see that too. That's my take on it. <laughs> and now that I'm going to still call her Heather for the rest of the movie, <laughs> but now that Heather is given in, she turns around and she's standing in front of 1428 Elm street with a blue door. I might add. Yes. I wanted <laughs> to point that out. <laughs> I'm glad you caught it too. To West, that fucking door is blue through and yes. through. <laughs> so she runs into the house and this is a part where I used to always get mad and then watching the commentary, I'm a lot less mad. 
the whole plan was for it to be the old house when she went inside. And New Line told Wes that they had access to the sets. We can do this, blah, blah, blah. And then when it came time to do it, they didn't have as much access to the sets as they claimed they did, and they didn't have the money to rebuild them. So all we got was the one shot of the real house in Southern California for that shot of her going in through the front door, but then back into the real world once we go in. And I'm really okay with it and Dylan's bed being the portal because of how it was built up to all that. So story-wise, it makes sense. We're punching a hole into the real world. God, it would have been so it would have been great fan service for the inside of the house to be old school, but at least yeah. we still got the exterior. And it's kind of neat because it's supposed to be like the melding of realities anyways, right? So we yes. get the Elm Street exterior of the house. We get Nancy's, I did it now, Heather's <laughs> interior house, right? Yes. And uh, once she's in, she starts seeing the sleeping pills that Dylan didn't take. And she's like, oh, a piece of candy. No, wait, that's something else. <laughs> Can you imagine the amount of rock star parties Heather Langenkamp went to that she could eat this amount of sleeping pills and still be okay? (laughs) (laughs) And she is. She's picking them all up. And she makes the mention of going back to Hansel and Gretel. It's the breadcrumbs if the birds don't eat them first. Maybe for Keith Richards. (laughs) (laughs) Is it weird that I saw Blix as soon as you said that? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) But the trail goes to Dylan's bed. And this part's really cool because she can get a sleeping pill off the bed and then she covers it up with a sheet and pulls it back again. There's another one. (laughs) (laughs) Is that cool? Is that cool, Josh? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it depends on if you're using or selling, because if you're selling, it's real cool. (laughs) If you're using, you're going to (laughs) OD. These are both things not condoned by the Slice by Slice podcast. Yeah, do not OD. Know your limits. (laughs) I think we went different directions there. (laughs) Um, Oh, and she also finds Rex ripped to pieces in Dylan's room. That's kind of important, too. Yeah. (laughs) So she slides in under the covers and goes through the foot of the bed, and she's back in that tube, like the the coffin tube. And Mm -hmm. it's my understanding that these were all repurposed the same tube they kept building. And we go nightmare for like full-blown straight-up Nightmare on Elm Street movie for just a second as the sheets disappear and she's in like an air duct thing and like there's branches and shit. Like it it feels like an old-school Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And uh, Heather actually got injured in that by a nail or something that was sticking out. Anyways, so the, the tube ends up coming out of Freddy's mouth into this beautiful matte painting with all this horrible CGI fire put over it. And, <laughs> and I am not giving it a pass. And Wes even says, he's like, it looked really cool. But as you can see, the frame rate of it's just terrible. Now I'm ad libbing here. That's not quoting him directly, but it shows it. But anyways, so she lands in this pool of water and she's in the bowels of the, the evil's lair, not, Freddy's lair, but the evil's lair is the way I see it. Cause there's like ancient yeah. Roman shit this way and Gothic shit this way. Like this is, this is like Dante. This is like hell. Yeah. It definitely looks like ancient temples. And then it has all the deadly sins listed throughout yeah. the complex as well. Right. Yep. And she's got kitchen knife with her. She's got full on Mikey kitchen knife with her. It was another inkling of the idea for scream. We're going to have this kitchen block right here on the island. <laughs> <laughs> so on the one hand she can hear Dylan in the distance but she can also hear Freddy's iconic scratching on shit 
And as she's wandering around, she finds the script and she flips it open and gets to a line where it says that Heather's come to a realization that there was no movie, only her life. And Dylan pops up and so does Freddie. And uh, Freddie throws Heather into a pool of eels. And uh, I think what, what's the line is like, pick out a pet for the piggy <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> is it and eels she, or snakes? It's eels. Ah. Uh. Fucking my fears turned it into snakes immediately. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she grabs one of them. And I don't like this This is dumb and uh, stabs Freddie in the eye with it. Like physically, there's so many things that have to happen for that to work that I I don't buy it. (laughs) But moving on, it gets her a chance to get away. And uh, (laughs) they end up do fighting for a little bit. And this is when he's like slamming her into lust (laughs) and anger and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And eventually Dylan runs up and stabs Freddie in the leg with the knife that Heather had brought into the dream with her. And uh, <laughs> Freddie then knocks Heather out and he starts to chase Dylan instead. And Dylan makes his way into a dead end, fiery Hansel and Gretel oven. Yep. And Freddie can't fit through the doors. <laughs> and Dylan's backed up into the corner, but Freddie's got his go-go gadget arm and starts reaching out for him. And uh, he grabs him, fucking pulls him over by the door, and his head and mouth start to all stretch open big enough to be able to eat Dylan. This was another reshoot. Oh, I just yeah. knew it was K&B. I didn't know it was a reshoot. Yep. And just as he's going to bite into him, Nancy comes up from behind him and just stabs him right the fuck in the junk. Like, there's no getting around it. It's right in the junk. <laughs> the genie has nards. And because uh, this this makes him immediately morph out of the the big mouth thing. And uh, <laughs> oh, I'm such an asshole. I'm such an asshole. Hang on. Heather has to make it up the Bisquick stairs one more time to get up to where this oven is. And I totally lost over that. that. <laughs> but once he's stabbed, he recoils and uh, she yells at Dylan to find a way out. And he finds a way out through this little hole in the back. And uh, actually, this tongue part may be the the reshoot. It was one or the other or both, but one of them for sure. (laughs) Freddie does the tongue thing where his tongue comes out and it snakes all around Heather. And like somehow it's under her clothes because it makes it a point to show her chest in the nightgown that it's wrapping around her under the the nightgown. So it's like it's cool because it's like with it being under the clothes, it's like such a violation at the same time that it's like a physical restraint. And luckily, Dylan has got the knife again and he comes around and he's stabbing at the end of the tongue and it keeps moving. Yeah. <laughs> and he finally stabs it and Freddie pulls it back off, which causes it to split into a fork tongue that he sucks back into his mouth. And he drifts back into the oven and the fucking flames start to shoot up. Freddie screams and we get a really shitty morph and then he explodes and I give it no passes. It's it's a no. shitty morph. It's a shitty morph, but I think it was just right there at the end in case you were dots and hadn't figured it out yet. This isn't actually Freddy. It's like an evil demon and it morphed into it right before it died. But uh, everything starts to explode and and burn up and uh, there's big dramatic uplifting music and Heather and Dylan run and they jump into the pool of water at the bottom of the lair and they roll right out of Dylan's bed and the scripts made it out with them. And... uh, Dylan asks what it is, or he asks if it's a story. One way or another, Dylan finds out it's a story, and he wants to be read some of it. And uh, there's a note left on it from Wes that says, you know, Heather, thanks for willing to play Nancy one last time, which is just like what was brought up in the meeting. Right. And she starts reading, like, word for word, the actual beginning of the movie we've just watched. And the shot pulls out, and we get credits at the end, which 
is at the time had not been done before or was very rarely done at least because there's literally no credits at the opening. They're all saved for the end. Yeah. And and that's it. There's no post-credit thing or anything. And it's one of those that as a straight up Freddy fan, when I first saw it, I was like, eh, it's okay. I get the idea. At least it's something. It's not as bad as six, but what's as bad as six? And the older I get and the more I learn or have learned about Craven and upon more rewatches, the movie is a lot smarter and a lot deeper than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah. And like I said earlier, it's not a Freddy Krueger movie. It is a Wes Craven movie with Freddy in it. And you got to understand what Freddy is in it. It makes the new makeup and the new glove make more sense. I still don't yeah. like them aesthetically. I don't like the look of them. I never will, but I understand the idea. And, and there's more than that. Like the sweater's more green. The hat's more green. Freddie's got the green eyes. He's wearing leather pants. He's wearing leather <laughs> pants, which really bother me. And he has almost knee high boots on, right? Like Marilyn Manson boots. But it is evil and dark as fuck looking. Yeah. I thought it was a cool idea. But as a horror movie, this ranks up with the original to me. This was actually a really good fucking horror movie. Yeah. The deaths, the the setups, the mythos, like it, it, it just had everything going for it. And this movie definitely had that Wes Craven stamp on it. Yep. And it was a uh, it was another one that did the whole the weird thing. It was a critical success, but a box office bomb. Right. And we've seen that happen a couple of times in the series and you see it happen with a lot of horror movies or you see the exact opposite happen where the critics are like, this is garbage and the fans won't stop buying it. Because I'm in that that pool. I really like this fucking film. I, I think I rank it equal or just under the first one to me. I know I said uh, Dream Warriors in the past, but it, it had been a while since I watched this one. And this is a legitimately good horror movie. And I, I just have always liked Wes Craven horror. He's got a way to fucking bring reality in and freak you the fuck out. Yep. Another thing I think that overshadowed this movie, and I know I've made it a point through this series to have box office numbers, which I don't have on this one, but it doesn't matter. It was it was a dud. Um, it opened against Pulp Fiction, and a lot of people say that that's where your audience went in. Your your core Freddy audience probably yeah. at that age instead went to see Pulp Fiction, and I could see that to a certain extent. I could also see the first few people that went and saw it turn around and say, "Oh man, it's not a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's this stupid docu drama." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I definitely get that. I also get that vibe like we liked Pulp Fiction when it came out and we're the kind of people that's in a horror movies, right? So you are slightly pulled toward that as a genre yeah. fan, right? So there's definitely some credence there. But you also have to keep in mind to horror fans and diehard nightmare fans, the last two nightmare movies were not good. Yeah. Why would this one be any better? And I'm sure that helped prevent putting asses in the seats. Yeah. And well, and there was also the whole, look, you said he was dead. You even did a fucking funeral and now it's the new nightmare. Like right. a lot of people probably saw this as like one of the earliest r attempts at a reboot. And that's not yeah, what yeah. it was. I'm really glad to have seen Wes get to come in and finish off the franchise. Right. And, and technically Freddy's dead was the end of the franchise. And I will always say that's the end of the franchise. But if you're going to have that one more Freddy movie, I'm glad Wes got to come in and do it and do it horror proper. Right. Yes. 
and that's how we approach this with the uh, the the bookends of the character and story that Wes created, and the character and story that that Wes ended himself. We're very much aware of the attempted reboot of the series and Freddy versus Jason. And don't worry, they have their own place in this podcast, but not here. And, and normally, we would have kept something like this maybe out of the franchise series, but. The fact that it has Wes and Heather back and the cameos from previous cast, it is still a part of the series, I feel like. But like Josh said, we did see Freddy come back in Freddy versus Jason, which I want us to cover at some point. But I think it'd be better to do that after we've covered the Friday the 13th franchise. Agreed? Yes. But we can't forget the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is hated by some, loved by others. We're not going to get into that debate here, but I think <laughs> a fun episode we could do next year on our third year or third season, however you want to put it, is the Halloween reboot with the Nightmare reboot with the Friday the 13th reboot all in one episode. I think that's going to be kind of fun, and uh, I think we'll we'll give that to you guys next year. Oh. So we're not going to do the Texas Chainsaw reboot. <laughs> oh, oh! I don't even know what counts as the Texas Chainsaw reboot right now. But if we're going to go <laughs> with the big three, right? Like the, we started this podcast with slashers. We started yeah. this podcast talking about the big three. The big three have been rebooted and it has failed for the most part. But <laughs> I think it'll be worth covering them. And I was trying to figure out a good spot to do it. And I, I think we should do the big three rebooted. At some point together in one episode, I think it'll be fun, especially after doing this. So let's look forward to that to the future. But guys, that's it for the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise series. So you'll have to tune in for the next episode when we do a little something special for Halloween. You mean Samhain? As usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please don't forget to rate and review us online. And please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbyspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbyspodcast. This might motivate us to use them more. You might even see messages from famous horror movie directors here. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. However it happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. <laughs> <laughs>